Howdy, folks. This is Drew, and before we start this month's episode, I'd just like to take a moment to ask you to rate us on iTunes. It's quick, it's easy, it helps others find the podcast, and it would mean a lot to us. Thanks. We're gonna fly to school each morning. We're gonna smile the entire time. Welcome back to Who and Company. I'm Brent. And this is Drew. It's our longest episode yet. Our guests this month are our good friends Lee Gao and Nathan Skreslet of Pixel Who. We discuss how a passion project became Doctor Who canon, delve into what it takes to pixelize a Time Lord, and then we get spoilery as we take a look at the first three episodes of Series 11. After that, we're headed back to school to talk about Lee and Nathan's TV pick, Dan Harmon's eclectic, reference-riddled, nerdfest community. Again, we're going to spoil some of the gags, but it's all cool. Cool, cool, cool. Brent and Drew have a podcast! (laughs) And that's coming up right after this. What's with the lava lamp? It's not a lava lamp. It's my mom. Oh, snap! Wait, what? What is going on? We're trying to get Jeff ready for the fight! I couldn't think of another word. Our guest today, well, let me put it this way. If you've met me at a Doctor Who convention, that wouldn't have happened without today's guests. See that Who and Company logo on the podcast app on your phone? That wouldn't have happened without today's guests. They're artists, they're nerds of the highest caliber, but more importantly, they're friends. Nathan and Lee of Pixel Who, welcome to Who and Company. Thanks for having us. Hello. Hello. Hey, guys. Yay. Huzzah. <laughs> it, it only took us 22 episodes, but you're on our show. <laughs> Hooray. So 
Um, because we are uh, talking about, we're talking together with you guys as Pixel Who, let's talk a little bit about Pixel Who, right? So um, how did Pixel Who get started? Uh, well, you know, it it had sort of been a long-standing uh, desire of mine to to do some sort of visual catalog of all the characters from Doctor Who. Uh-huh. Um, I kind of came up with the with the idea when I was uh, you know a teenager, um, and just didn't have the means or the time to execute it. Uh, you know, I started out you know drawing dozens and dozens and dozens of you know little characters on scraps of paper. Uh, and archiving them away in, in a folder someplace uh, and quickly realized that this was going to be a, a Herculean task to try and, and do it that way. Um, not not to mention this was the early days of the internet, so putting together some kind of, uh, you know, searchable database was just beyond what was cap- you know, what I was capable of doing at the time. Sure. Uh, and the technology just wasn't there, so I kind of shelved it and put it in the back of my brain uh, and then probably about a decade later, uh, I, I was suddenly inspired. Um, it was around about the time that, that the sort of eight bit aesthetic, you know, that I grew up with in the eighties with early video games was kind of coming back into vogue. Uh, things like Minecraft were really taking off and mm-hmm. it just kind of popped into my head. It's like, Hey, what if I simplified all those characters down to sort of like just the basic essence uh, you know, using a pixelated style. Uh, and that was kind of the genesis of, of, of the kernel of the idea. And I, I kind of approached my wife. I was like, do you think this could work? Um, and she was very encouraging. She was like, yeah, go for it. Um, so I did. Um, yeah, I the problem kinda... was that mm-hmm. he underestimated that <laughs> even doing a pixelated form is actually very complicated yeah it, i mean I'm, I'm a graphic designer by trade but this was an art form i hadn't really dabbled in before um right. so there was a bit of a learning curve and I, I had to kind of figure out the method and the style that i wanted to use there's a lot of different pixel styles out there um <clears throat> and we I kind of developed my own hybrid style over the course of, of figuring things out um but uh yeah uh we started kind of at the very beginning so I, the first one i did was all the characters from the first doctor kind of arrange them into a, a poster form. Um, and I was very excited about it. I was like, all right. And kind of put it up online, and basically nothing happened. So <laughs> I, I told him, well, you know, maybe do something for the new fans. Yeah. Um, like, oh, maybe there aren't enough First Doctor fans out there. Yeah. So then he started working on the Tenth Doctor, completed that, did the poster. Yeah. Initially, I was, I was thinking about doing them all in order, but uh, uh, Lee was like, no, don't do that. <laughs> I was like, it's going to take forever to get anything for the new fans. Right. I was like, you're going to have to skip here. Um, so he he did the tenth. He put it up, and then yeah, which, which took a long time because he had he had a lot more characters. Um, I think our first Doctor one has you know two hundred something. Our our tenth Doctor one has five hundred forty six. Yeah. So yeah, that, that was quite an undertaking. <laughs> um, put that together, put it up online, and nothing. Right, and so. Honestly, the the form that he decided to do all these characters in, it's kind of insane because he literally puts each pixel individually. It's dot by dot, um, and so there's he doesn't use any sort of computer conversion. So it's actually like modern day pointillism. Um, and the thing that he discovered is when you distill it to its most basic essence, you have to really get that character right or 
or it's not gonna, it's just gonna be completely right or completely wrong. Like moving it half a pixel makes a huge difference in how the character looks and if someone can recognize it. Mm -hmm. So even though he thought that drawing each one individually would take forever, pixeling them is just as equally labor intensive. Yeah, it involves a lot of research too, because I didn't realize when I first started doing this that a lot of characters on TV and in film are normally only shown from the waist up. Mm. And all the characters we do are full body. So if I need to figure out what a character's legs and feet look like, sometimes I have to go and dig pretty deep, uh, you know, into the internet and, you know, try and find alternative uh, sources. Uh, yeah, so that can be a challenge sometimes. Also, I have to go through all the, all the episodes and kind of scrub through and, and look and identify all the characters and then, you know, nail the likenesses. And it, it's, it's pretty time intensive. I bet. I bet. So let me, I just, I just want to clarify something. Mm -hmm. So rather than doing each one of the doctors first, you went, I'm going to go ahead and do every single character that showed up in the first doctor's era. That's right. Yeah. So any, anything that showed up, (laughs) it is legitimately anything that showed up on screen and it's in order to their appearance. Yeah. And that, that one actually ended up being a a sudden, somewhat unexpected challenge too, because a lot of first doctor stories are, are lost. Right. Um, Sure. And we didn't want to leave those off, so I had to reconstruct um, a lot of the the characters from some of those episodes using surviving photos, um, you know, telesnaps, and you know, all the, all these other other information sources because we want to be as complete as possible. Yeah, of course. Did you ever have to um, essentially make a character from whole cloth based off of script description or novelization, or is is was there enough surviving uh, alternative like visual footage to to be able to pull that? Thankfully, uh, most things exist in some form. The, the, I think the trickiest one was uh, the Rills from Galaxy 4. Uh-huh. There's only like one surviving photograph of them, and it's blurry. Right. <laughs> That's, That's like, crazy, too, because it's a major part of that story. Right. Yeah. They, they kind of look like Jabba the Hutt a little bit. <laughs> right. 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 Huh. Yeah. yeah, so. Yeah, so, uh, but, uh, you know, we did all, all of this, all this work and, you know, kind of, Got it out there and and basically got no response really at all, um, like for almost a year, and um, you know I I kind of you know I was like well maybe maybe you know this is just something that I like and you know I find interesting and you know maybe this is just a project for me, um, but then uh, you know we thought about it and we were like well if people aren't coming to us, let's go to them. Yeah. So initially, like what a lot of people don't realize is back when this project started in 2010, because he'd taken so many months to do these pieces, like, you know, the 10th Doctor is like four and a half months um, of work. He, when when he didn't get any sort of response from it, he was actually planning to give up on Pixel Who. Like he was just going to do it for himself and it wasn't going to be anything we were going to try and sell. It was just going to be like his own personal project. Um, and he came to me, he's like, I think I'm just going to take down the website. I think I'm just kind of done with Pixel Who. I'll just kind of do it on my own and not worry about it. And I was like, no, 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 no. <laughs> I was like, <laughs> I, I let you try and play the business thing on your own for a year. I'm going to take over. And he's like, are you sure? I was like, yes, let me just take over. So I became his manager and PR person in 2011. Um, and I created a new shop for him, online shop. I made a Facebook page for him. 
eventually made like instant like basically got them out there in social media um and we started doing conventions in 2011 2012 at that time mm-hmm. yeah because like most most artists i'm a terrible self-promoter so <laughs> uh yeah it was yeah. it was six months of training him how to sell his own stuff yeah like he was just really bad at yeah. it yeah she, she <laughs> has the skill sets that i absolutely don't so uh yeah i think th- this uh whole thing would have withered on the vine if if uh lee hadn't got involved yeah, so we, we the convention circuit is actually where we started getting the best reception for the work. I think seeing it in person made a huge difference and for people to be able to actually really scour through it and see the amount of work and love that he had put into it, um, that was really what started launching the the company itself. And then also, it, actually, honestly, it was those first early fans that encouraged Nathan to keep going because I told him it was a great project, but of course he... He's like, oh, you have to say that. I'm like, no, no, it's actually really good. You're actually very good at this. We just need to like kind of get it out there more. And Mm -hmm. seeing how the enjoyment on people's faces of going through the posters, like that was the thing that was kind of like the missing link that pushed him to keep going with it. Mm -hmm. Yeah, the first show we ever did was a tiny little one at a public library in Tidewater. It's like a one day show. Yeah. Um, we had but, like three posters. Yeah, I think we had we had our first doctor, our tenth doctor, and like a, a, a Dalek, Dalek piece. Yeah, and um, and we had these really wobbly, oh, eye, terrible little like easels. We, like if you yeah. all have ever seen us at conventions, you see we use these huge grid walls. Our original start were these easels that would just fall over if you looked at it the wrong way. <laughs> oh yeah. <laughs> so they were like just really unsafe and terrible. But that's what we we had at the beginning. It was like this really just minimal display, and um, we didn't know what the heck we were doing. Of course, at the beginning. Yeah, but the response of people you know who came up and saw these things uh, was what convinced us that hey, maybe this is is something that that will be worth continuing, because you know people would just light up when they saw this stuff, and uh, they got all excited and you know uh, they were smiling and uh, they go through these these posters and they relive all their favorite uh, moments from the show and um, yeah, that's what that's when we knew we had something. Yeah, it was what Nathan had originally set out to. Um help other fans kind of experience and relive the joy of the show and for him to see it firsthand as is was a huge huge push for him that was my reaction a couple of years ago when i first uh ran into you guys and it was uh regeneration who two i think mm. yeah and i picked up a, a bookmark that had different doctors on it that was really cool and then, um, but I have to say, the most impressive thing I've seen are those posters that you're talking about, about the different doctors. Um, Drew and I were standing there staring at the fourth doctor one this year, and uh, it goes through the entire timeline with little pixel art figures of each story in order. It's very cool. Thank you. Yeah, I think we, I think I saw it for the first time at uh, Mysticon in. Yes. Mm-hmm. I don't remember if it was 2013 or 2014. It was one of those, one of those two. And it was just like, sounds about right. Boggling. Yeah. Mind boggling. Yeah. The first time we met, that was really cool. And it just kind of like, this is, this is great. And this is, I think before you had done a Kickstarter, is that correct? Yeah. Or had you done one before? No, we hadn't. Uh, I think that was when we decided to do our first Kickstarter to help us with the next poster printing um and that was i think for the fourth doctor actually that sounds right yeah we had we had done the art but we couldn't quite afford the printing at the time Mm -hmm. so we were doing kickstarter and that was a whole learning curve unto itself how kickstarter works and how do we manage this and we're just uh, this entire time this business has been around it's just been nathan and myself it's never we've never had anyone else so um learning just how any of that worked 
Um, but it, it got huge. I think we made like twice the amount we originally asked for. Mm-hmm. Um, Although we did underestimate uh, how much shipping costs. Yes, we did. Yes. Um, that <laughs> was, it ended up being about, about right. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> it, it, it was fine. But yeah, it was, it was fantastic. And I think for us with the Kickstarter, it honestly let us know how far reaching the show really was. Because the places we were mailing our posters to were... Um, oh, yeah, all over the world. Like Zimbabwe... And uh, Federation Russia, of Russia, like Israel, Australia, South Africa, like everywhere. It, it was it was amazing to us to see the the kind of you know re, like really how far Doctor Who had yeah. expanded in the world. It's global. Yes. Yeah. Well, obviously, all this art was inspired by Doctor Who. So, um, when did you both first start watching the show? Uh, well, I started when I was a kid. So um, my parents used to watch it uh, before uh, you know I was born. Um, and they, they waited for them to introduce us, uh, to the show. Um, I was about eight years old and the first doctor I ever saw was the seventh doctor. Um, it was actually his, uh, Dalek episode that got me hooked. Oh yeah. Although ironically, um, the, uh, the tape that it was on broke. So I never got to see the end of that particular episode oh, no. for about 14 <laughs> years, I think. No. Yeah. Uh, but it remains a favorite to this day. Uh, back then, of course, you know, not everything was was available. Uh, and, you know, they didn't rerun this stuff on PBS, uh, especially the the later seasons, uh, very frequently. They did a lot of Tom Baker, but but not a lot of Sylvester. So, yeah, it, it took an, until, yeah, probably about 14 years later for me to see the conclusion of that episode. Yeah, because the, the thing, too, is um, while his parents got him initially into it, it was his grandparents who sent him recordings on their local... Oregon PBS and sent mm-hmm. it to him and his family who at the time were living in Egypt. So he grew up in Egypt for eight years. Yeah. So they'd record off, you know, Oregon public broadcasting. They'd mail the videotapes. Uh, the videotapes had to go through um, Egyptian customs uh, checks on their way into the country, uh, in, w- in which case they were opened and watched by the censor's office to make sure they weren't, you know, importing something illicit. Um, so somewhere, there must be some very, very confused Egyptian customs officials who have watched all of our, you know, classic Doctor Who tapes. Or you made some huge fans over there. Yeah, maybe, maybe they were very <laughs> like excited whenever maybe that was a new the start of the fandom over there. Know. Yeah, yeah. They've got pyramids of wrong, Mars all wrong. Yes. yes yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'm surprised they didn't deny that when entrance to the country. <laughs> so yeah, he was he's been a fan forever, but he got me into it in 2006. So we. Um, we we started dating in 2006 mm-hmm. and he was like hey i got this show called doctor who and i'm like i don't what i was like <laughs> doctor what wait what are we talking about who and he he goes no it's a great it's a sci-fi show and me i grew up watching quantum leap that was my first sci-fi show um you know of course tng mm-hmm. star trek um that sort of stuff and none of those shows were on at the time so i was like yeah let me you know let me try your sci-fi show um <laughs> and I was very confused. He, of course, told me nothing about regeneration, so I didn't understand why Chris Eccleston wasn't coming back. Um, I was just, but I got hooked, like hooked so much so that when we got married years later, we legitimately had a three-tiered TARDIS cake (laughs) as our wedding cake. Awesome. Very cool. Uh, Do you have favorite doctors, each of you? 
Yeah, I for me, classic is probably Tom Baker, and that's kind of like everyone's favorite. Um, but he's very similar to the modern doctors in a lot of way, that kind of humor, you know, the pacing of it. Um, for modern doctors, you know, 10th was my favorite for like ever in a day. But I have to say that Peter Capaldi, the 12th doctor, ended up tying with the 10th for me by the time he was done with his run. Like his first season was not his strongest, in my opinion, but by second and third, it was amazing to watch him in that role um so he definitely ended up being there i still have a lot of nostalgia for 10th but like the 12th doctor was also like an amazing rewatch for sure mm-hmm. yeah I, I love me some tenant too but uh yeah my, my favorite all-time doctor is is mccoy because he, you know your fa- your first doctor sticks with you and uh i especially enjoy his his later seasons that are a little bit darker and when you finally got to finish uh the the last part of remembrance of the daleks what'd you think oh i i loved it was it worth fourteen year? Wait. Oh, absolutely! Yeah, that's that's such a classic. That's a hell of a cliffhanger. Oh, it yes, really, it, is. it really is. I'm trying to remember how the third episode ends now. Uh, on that one, yeah. Well, how about um, as far as your Nathan as your art goes? Uh, do you have a favorite doctor to pixelate, uh, and actually a least favorite doctor to pixelate? Mm. Ah, yeah. Well, you know. I really enjoyed doing all the fourth doctor episodes because, you know, those have a huge nostalgia factor for me, Um, you know, uh, and it it was really, really fun going back through all those stories and, you know, uh, getting all those characters right. Um, Least favorite. It's it's hard to pick. Um, So you've done so we haven't so Nathan hasn't done like the plan is for us to legitimately do like the 55 or however long um, the show goes on for every character that's ever appeared on the show. Sure. So he's completed um, the first, the fourth, the eighth, the ninth, the tenth, mm-hmm. and, and the eleventh. Most recently, he just finished that a uh, few months ago. Um, so out of all those that you've done, mm. well, the eleventh took the longest. Um, just just because there, that one has almost what seven hundred. Yeah something plus the uh special for the 50th anniversary episode so So it's probably about 800 altogether it's it yeah it's well over 800 characters yeah and uh getting that one to just the arrangement was difficult Uh because it takes up almost an entire press sheet um that's nuts so i i had you know weeks and weeks of intense negotiations with our printer trying to maximize the amount of you know paper we got you know that we wouldn't lose you know essential half inches to trimming and have sure. it come out the wrong size. Uh, so, so like you enjoyed pixelating them, but you didn't enjoy arranging. Right. Yeah. It, it, yeah. Just to clarify, so yeah. he liked doing the Eleventh Doctor. He e- just even after we we make all the all the characters, it takes me you know probably about a week or so to really get them all situated. Um, okay. Yeah, that's that's a pretty intense process. What about just just the doctors themselves? So not the entire cast, but like oh, yeah. doctors as individual characters. Because I know you've uh, you've uh, pixelated all of them, right? Yes. So like the bookmarks and and for different um, forms. Like, is there one where like it's maybe just kind of the joy of working on it, or one who is the outfit is so detailed <laughs> that it kind of gets a little frustrating, or is it kind of all the same to you at this point in time? Well, you know, I had a lot of trouble nailing Capaldi's likeness. And I'm not sure really? exactly why that is, but uh, yeah, it probably went through about eight different versions of him before we settled on one we were happy with. Um, I had whereas... to tell him to stop making him look so angry. <laughs> well, he's, I was he's like, kind he's of got... an angry guy. <laughs> I was like, he's got angry eyebrows, but his yeah. whole face shouldn't look angry. Yeah. Whereas uh, Jody came together like in an afternoon. You know, yeah. she, she she was really easy. So yeah, you never can tell. 
Do you think part of that is because with Capaldi you have so much of the personality in all the episodes, so you, you kind of, after three years, you, you understand what they're like um, and how they act and, and are represented, versus with Jody at the time, I think you completed the the first image of her. We hadn't gotten an aired episode yet. That's true. Does that have anything to play into it? Uh, you know, I think ma- mainly it just comes down to nailing the proportions, you know, and there, there's, you don't have a lot of play with pixels. Um, so right. if something is just a little bit off, it's way off, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, and so that, that's often the challenge. It's sometimes, you know, things settle into place pretty easily and sometimes they don't. I think the difficulty is to trying to represent different ages of different doctors mm-hmm. in pixel form. Like where do you put like a half pixel wrinkle or where do you move, you know, an eyebrow in such a way that, demonstrates their their age um so i think i he had a lot of issues with the war doctor as well i think we went back and forth quite a bit Mm -hmm. with his with john hurt's likeness as well because i i wanted him to look you know appropriate Mm -hmm. uh, but not like like not like he was 80 when he played it like he he wasn't 80 when he played it you know he was older but not that old um or that much older so i think i think that's probably the difficulty as well is the various ages that the doctors Mm -hmm. are when they play the role because you want to give them character, but you don't want them looking like a crypt keeper, you know? <laughs> well, it's true. And I mean, if let, let's say your doctor doesn't cut his hair for three seasons and it keeps on getting bigger and bigger yep. and more fantastic, you know, that's, that's, you got to change that as well. Yeah, I did actually. I, I did at least three different, different versions of him. Uh, I think of Capaldi on, alone. Yeah, on the bookmark, he yeah. kept evolving, you know, it's like we started out <laughs> with his, you know, super refined, you know, uh, suit, you know, with the. Uh, the red lining and his short hair and then gradually you know got the hoodie doctor and then his hair right. kept getting bigger and bigger got the fluffy hair <laughs> yeah, yeah fluffier fluffier that's pretty cool um okay so since working on this from you know kind of as a, a passion project to uh, a business a lot has changed mm-hmm. um how has your work with pixel who kind of changed your experience with fandom um, not just your own fandom, but like your interactions with fandom, capital F. Yeah. Um, you know, like, well, what kind of like, things of opportunities have been open for you or? The biggest change uh, was that uh, uh, we were contacted by the, the folks who make the Doctor Who mobile game, Doctor Who Legacy. Mm-hmm. Um, Which was the official yeah. BBC game at the time for Doctor Who. Like there weren't any other games out. Yeah. And they, they were, they, you know, had seen our stuff and they were like, you know, we would love to work with you guys and see if we can get your art in the game. And we were uh, stunned and uh, <laughs> like started Googling and saying, are these people for real? Um, like, oh, let me look up the Cummings. Like, are they actual? Oh, no, they're actually, you know, actual yeah, game creators. Lovely people. Yeah. And uh, very passionate about about the, you know, the franchise and, and about what they were, you know, able to do with it. Uh, and yeah, it took us about just about 20 minutes talking to them to realize, yeah, we want to work with these people. They're awesome. Uh, so, yeah, it uh, it ended up uh, meaning that all of the art assets we sent to them had to be sent on to BBC Worldwide and Cardiff for approval. Uh, so because of that, now our artwork is is canon. It's, it's official to the show's extended universe. Um, they even, uh, as part of the game, developed uh, an entire storyline dlc campaign uh you know based around the pixel art you know explaining why all, why all the characters you know became became pixelated and uh became an, an entire you know uh separate thing it was written by george mann who, who's a very well-known doctor who writer 
And also Lee Cummings. Uh, yeah, and, and uh, yeah, Lee, one of the creators of the game. Uh, they were just wonderful to work with. Um, but that that literally changed us from being fan art to official canon, mm-hmm. which was kind of astonishing to us. And getting, I don't, for me personally, we got we got credit, of course, in the game when they did an update, and you know Nathan's name shows up as credit. My name shows up as well, and I busted out crying. Like yeah. I was just like <laughs> very emotional. I yeah. was super emotional. I thought I was gonna squee. I did not. I just sat there silently crying because I was just kind of overcome. Overcome, yeah. and it you know it was my first ever you know bbc doctor who credit um and i'm you know i'm i don't do the artwork i don't do any of the artwork it's all nathan um so for me i never thought i would get any sort of credit because i'm neither a writer i'm not an artist um so it's just kind of really cool to have that yeah what's also neat is because of that uh as part of that project we got to be the first to visualize uh some of the uh things in the script so like um some of the the scaro degradations from george mann's novel were worked in there uh, they had never been seen. Uh, things like the uh, one one of the TARDIS interiors uh, called the TARDIS Plaza um, was also described in that book. We got to visualize that. Um, so the, these things, these are the first, you know, first draft, I guess, of, of you know these things. So if if you know they're ever seen again, someone will be, will be developing on what we we started, which is kind of exciting. Yeah. That's, so he's he literally created heavy. original content. Yeah. For a BBC, yeah, and so, now if anyone does it, they're ripping off of us, which is ironic and very full circle because we are constantly, <laughs> yeah. obviously, ripping off of ripping off of something, you know, from from a different design. Yeah, because prior to that, almost all of our our work is replicating existing things uh, from the program. So to be able to contribute original stuff is very exciting. Um, in fact, the the whole project of Pixel Who is kind of my love letter to the show and all the creative people who've worked on it over decades. Um, they inspire me, and and now it's exciting to be able to be one of them. What's fascinating is because I've got to witness this firsthand. Is because of this passion that you have, when you go to these conventions, you aren't just sitting there selling something, but you're getting into chance to be a guest and go on yeah. panels and interact with these people that inspired you from such an early age. Um, how is it to be able to? you know, go to a convention and, and know that you're going to meet for the first time whatever doctor or companion or writer or director. Oh, yeah. I mean, like, it's just, what is that like for, for someone? Because I I wasn't a fan as a child, right? And, and and Lee, we both kind of came to this fairly early. I don't know, Brent, you've, you were a, you've been a fan forever, right? Oh, yeah. Yeah. Like, for the both of you, you had this very unique experience where this is something that is a genuine part of your childhood, so how does that feel to be able to go interact and have them be enthusiastic about something you've done? Because I know I've seen you hand your art over to these guests and watch their mm-hmm. eyes light up when they're seeing it for the very first time. What does that feel like for you? It's a little surreal, honestly. Um, <laughs> so sometimes we, we kind of look at each other and go, is this really our, is this real life? You know, is this what we're actually doing right now? Um, but yeah, it honestly, th- this project has opened up a lot of doors it's allowed us to, you know, meet people we probably wouldn't have otherwise, uh, and really interact uh, with them uh, in a more deeply individual, personal level. Um, so much so that because we do so many of these shows, uh, we develop personal friendships with a lot of, um, you know, the people from the Doctor Who world. Um, you know, actors, directors, writers, uh, brand managers, artists. You know, it runs the gamut really. 
um, and develop, you know, personal friendships. And, you know, we visit some of these folks when we go to visit uh, the United Kingdom. And it's, it's a wonderful, wonderful thing. They're all really passionate people who care about what they're doing. And um, I think that's been one of the one of the most rewarding things about this is, you know, uh, everybody really who works on the program loves the program. Yeah, I think the thing that we we came to realize through the friendships we've made um, with these people who work in official capacities on the show is that they are fans themselves. So there's like a real sense of community when we get together with them. Um, and discuss different projects we're working on. We're all equally excited for each other. I think we all find ourselves in this equally surreal state of mm-hmm. like, this is crazy that we're doing this and this is amazing. Um, we we find ourselves to be incredibly lucky as a result of doing something that we really love and we really enjoy. And it's resulted in us being able to really make so many new friendships and mm-hmm. really get ourselves out there. Um, it's just been absolutely fantastic and an yeah. amazing ride that we, we never could loved. have predicted yeah, yeah. I've, I've told them how many I, I the irony is i'm always like did, did you think like you would be hanging out with such and such now like in their in their house and he's like no <laughs> like did you think like 10 years ago you'd be hanging out with such and he's like no and i was like or that we'd be you know going and having dinner with these people in the uk he's like nope did not see that coming either so we're we're always kind of uh amazed at um the the luck and um really just what this whole entire project has done for us because i i can't say enough that it's been astonishing and amazing yeah It's October and Series 11 is well underway, so we wanted to talk just a few minutes about how the series is going after three episodes at the time of recording. So what do you think of Series 11 so far? I I feel like it's a good start. Um, It's an interesting return to honestly focusing on the companions or friends um, before the intro of The Doctor. So in a lot of, at least for me, like I'm I'm a huge new Doctor, I'm a new Whovian, a lot of times, with the exception of Christopher Eccleston, they have always kind of made the Doctor the forefront at the start of the seasons. And this is an interesting return to Eccleston's time when the focus was on the companion or the friend who was traveling. So we got to meet all of them long before we got to meet Jodie's <clears throat> character in that first episode. Um, so I thought it was actually an interesting focus that they're deciding to go back and do. Yeah, it, it's a, it's almost a soft reset in some ways of the, of the program. Uh, and I can kind of understand why they've done that. Uh, you know, any show that's been on for a long time can kind of, you know, start to bend under, under the weight of its own mythology. Um, but, uh, I really like the direction that they've taken with this, this show, uh, this season, it feels fresh, you know, renewed in a lot of ways. Um, you know, we, we really do enjoy, uh, every episode so far. 
Do you think this is a good place for um, new folks who haven't watched Doctor Who to start? Like, would you would you recommend it so far? I mean, I know we we've got plenty more to watch, but just yeah. based off of these first three episodes, yeah. I, I think so. I think you know, usually when um, when we meet people at conventions, um, some people are like, "Oh, I've never watched Doctor Who." So I when I talk to them and I'm like, "Well, if you want to get into the show," I was like, "Start off with the reboot in 2005, mainly because it introduces it through the perspective of the human." Mm-hmm. Um, lens and so you don't I said you don't you get to find out who the doctor is along with the human companion so it's a nice way to kind of introduce people into the show Um, and so this is one of those things where I might even you know seeing how the rest of her season goes I might even go you can start off with the 13th doctor yeah it's taken (laughs) from the friend's perspective and I hope it's also in a place for some folks who have maybe have left the show to jump back on um, yeah, it, it made me very sad, actually, how many people we talked to at conventions who stopped at season eight. And I can't tell you how many times I'm like, you guys have to see season nine into season 10. Absolutely. Like, it is huge. It's I was like, season eight wasn't the strongest, but season nine and 10 are amazing. And you have to like, go back and rewatch it. And a lot of them go, okay, I'm definitely gonna go back. I'm like, thank you, because you won't regret it. <laughs> yeah, great. I, I, I've had similar experiences with folks who are watching a lot of them kind of fell off. I know folks who fell off when when Tennant left, and I know folks who mm-hmm. fell off when when Smith left, and yeah, so it's it's nice to start back. So, what do you? How do you feel about um, Jodie Whittaker's portrayal of the Doctor, um, and you know, just in general, and and then based off these three episodes, what kind of a Doctor is she? Well, you know, uh, it, she hasn't really had, at least for me, a really sort of defining moment yet um, that you know, makes you go, okay, that's what you're about. Um, we, we know, and I, uh, you know, any new doctor takes a little while to kind of feel out, you know, who they are. Uh, and that's, that's natural part of the process. Um, I think she's still a mystery. Yeah. I think she's a mystery, but not in a bad way. So, um, some people don't realize, so aside from doing managing Pixel Who and doing the PR stuff, I'm, also a registered nurse at a hospital and I'm also a professor of nursing at a university and she reminds me a lot of my nursing students where she's driven and motivated to help people mm-hmm. but doesn't quite know who she is you know that sort of thing so it's similar to my nursing students they know they want to help people um, they know they want to be kind to people but they don't know what kind of nurse they want to be yet mm. they haven't figured that out but they do know that along the way of finding out who they are, who they will become, you know, the type of nurse that they're going to become, they will still continue to help people. Mm-hmm. And so that's kind of what she's portraying to me so far is someone who she doesn't quite know what kind of doctor she wants to be yet. Um, but she does know that she's motivated and driven to help people and be kind and mm-hmm. until she can figure it out for herself. Yeah. That's really cool. It's an interesting perspective and a nice comparison. Um, kind of along those same lines, and it might be very similar, but Lee, this is the first portrayal we've had uh, of a, a female doctor, as a, as a female actor um, portraying the doctor, mm-hmm. at least in canon. Yes. Um, and how do you, both, how do you feel uh, that 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 works from that perspective as, you know, as a female fan, as a, as a member of the audience, do you feel that that transition has been done well i you know i liked when she was kind of like you know i'm still trying to figure out 
I was just a white-haired Scottish man like a mm-hmm. few minutes ago. I'm I'm shorter, like my legs aren't as long. I think yeah. I think they did a really funny humorous way of doing it. Um that was like a nice nod. I so it's interesting. So I've listened to and seen a lot of people post um other female fans about their um take on a female doctor. And mostly it's it's being feeling emotional that, you know, we actually have a female doctor for once and and um you know, they're kind of overwhelmed by it a lot of times. And I think for me, I I expected that would happen with me, but I, I didn't. And it was a bit strange. And I think it's an interesting perspective. I think because I work in a hospital and the majority of the doctors I actually work with are female. Like, I, there's hmm. not that many male doctors. Like, we have male doctors, but it's probably pretty even, if not like 60-40 of female doctors to male doctors um, that I work with on my unit in particular. So I'm like, yeah, this is just normal. Like, I don't like, I'm not, you know, like, yeah, I work with female doctors all the time in real life. Um, so I, I, I didn't have that same kind of overcome overwhelming experience. I think that a lot of the other female fans had, um, I'm excited for the representation. Definitely. Um, I think also it's a little different too, cause I'm a minority. Um, so while I'm very excited for, a, of course, a female, uh, doctor, I don't see I don't can I don't see myself in her that some other right. um, female fans who are not minorities may like it's not that sort of similar sort of like oh my god I, I could be her you know sort of thing like I don't have that um, but I am very excited I mean I've heard Jody do a ton of interviews and I love that she understands what she's representing and that she's very excited to kind of tell other females like, yeah, you can play the doctor. You get to be the doctor now too. Like she gets how important her role is. Um, and so I very much appreciate that. Yeah. I think the transition was handled in a really, really sensitive and clever way. Uh, you know, it's not heavy handed. They've been kind of building up to it, you know, over the course of several, several seasons, you know, showing us other regenerations that cross the gender line. Um, so yeah, it feels natural at this point. And uh, it doesn't yeah. feel pushed on. Like, yeah, it doesn't you don't, feel you don't jarring or, or, yeah, forced. Yeah, it doesn't feel like they're just doing it for the sake of doing it. I think they, like, um, did actually very careful in picking who was going to play the mm-hmm. role. Yeah. And, it, yeah, it didn't feel like, I don't know, like the way people were going on and on about how this would ruin the show and stuff. I just don't see any of that right now. Yeah, Um. when, and I think I've mentioned this on the show before, I had some trepidation in early talks before Jody was announced as mm-hmm. having a female doctor. Not that I've had anything against um, a, a woman playing the doctor, but just that I was kind of uh, not sure what would happen to the show itself. Sure. Well, there were a lot of unknowns at that point, right? So Correct. It, it, that's totally, totally natural, you know, to yeah. have a little bit of apprehension. I think that happens with like a change of a doctor in general, you know? Like- sure. Sure. But was the moment Jody was announced, and I started listening and reading online about how excited everyone was, and I realized that this was just the beginning. You know, this is how opening so many doors to Doctor Who truly being uh, kind of a, as diverse as it, its premise promises. Uh, I thought it was going to go over really well, and and I want to sort of touch on um, as we move into this next question, Lee. Um, you're talking about representation because. While you may not see yourself in uh, the Doctor, the show has taken, I think, a, a very large step in f- as far as representation 
with the new friends uh, slash companions that they've chosen. And I'm kind of curious because you have already mentioned that this new chapter really does take a focus from the companions slash friends point of view. So how do you think, what do you think about um, the new friends? Are they working for you so far? And again, three episodes in, we haven't explored almost anything, (laughs) but what do you think so far? You know, I actually, I, I like them. I actually like all of the friends um, slash companions. I think they're an interesting take because they're very realistic. Like, uh, mm-hmm. you know, the fact that they're odd and just kind of flabbergasted at things that are happening. Um, I think it's a very genuine sort of reaction to this. Um, I think as well, the way they represent each um not that they that not that they're purposely doing this, but the way that they represent um, minorities in general, like yeah, like this is you know here is a woman um, who is a police officer who's also South you know South Asian, and she still hits that wall of you know right. mm-hmm. you know some she still is dealing Having with a some, fight for her position right. Yeah. Um, and, you know, the same thing with the other actor where he also is kind of dealing with that as well, which um, I guess we'll delve into a little bit. Um, but, you know, in the Rosa episode where he's having to deal with his race straight up in front and they have this very real talk with each other about yeah, how, how they've had to make up for the color of their skin by mm-hmm. behaving in a certain manner. And it's one of those things where it's, I think for me, it was very touching because I've had those conversations. I've had, I've had where I've had to, so, you know, my family members had to talk to me about like, this is the way, you know, you're going to have to represent yourself in public because we're not one, you know, we're not seen as one of them. So you can't make these huge splash and waves um, because, you know, they're going to always view it as like this, you know, Asian person is acting out because they're such and such way, you know, sort of thing. Mm-hmm. Um, and so it was very, it was very honest. I think it was a very truthful conversation that I think if you talk to any minority, they can say they've definitely had those conversations before with their own family members. Mm-hmm. I like they have an older character in Graham as well. Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. We haven't really had that in a while, uh, especially in, in a, you know, companion uh, character is is that perspective you know i think i think it's not just that he's older he's an ally he's an older he ally which i really like yeah he's not old and crotchety and and mean he's a he's a you know a genuinely good guy who cares about everyone around him and is is you know is interested in diversity mm-hmm. and um realizes that because no one will listen to the minorities he has to speak for them mm-hmm. um before someone will listen yeah I, which got, that's kind of such a shame too. Like, like you have to have that. Uh, that you know, the older white man has to speak for um, the other characters. But at least when we'll talk about this and with Rosa, that that definitely plays a part. Mm-hmm. Uh, Brett, what do you think of our friends so far? <clears throat> well, I've loved Bradley Walsh for years since seeing him on uh, Law and Order UK. So I was in there right away as Graham. Um, I haven't lost, latched on to Yaz yet. And I think that's the writing so far. They really haven't given her a whole lot to do yet. Except for that scene with her and Ryan and Rosa that you were talking about. But Ryan is probably my favorite so far. He was instantly likable. You feel for Mm -hmm. him with his struggle with uh, dyspraxia. 
Uh, he's funny. He's protective over the others. Um, I, I relate to him a lot. So I, I think he's my favorite so far. Yeah, I think I attach myself to Ryan a lot more than I probably do the other friends for at least for now. Yeah, he's very engaging. I th- I'm hoping that tonight's episode we may delve into Yaz's background a little bit more. Yeah, um, I think too. I, I think it's also a little difficult. This and this is like going back to the whole concept of minority is like, um, you know, because when people think about Asians, they tend to think of South Asian when it comes to British shows. Mm-hmm. But there really is no, I mean, maybe Cho Chang and Harry <laughs> Potter, there's no representation of just, like, East Asians, I guess. Um, it's just, it, I, and I noticed this when we traveled to the UK as well. Um, there were all these signs for matchmaking for, they're like, Asian matchmaking, you know, like, matchmaking for Asians. And it was always South Asian. Like, there wasn't, like, any other type of, it was just always, like, people who, appeared Indian or Pakistani or you know like there wasn't anyone who looked like like what I say when I say Asian um Hmm. so I I just think it's interesting as well like I I don't recall a single Asian companion (laughs) except maybe uh uh from the tv movie but he he never he he never went anywhere he never flew so he doesn't I don't know if that really counts (laughs) he went inside the TARDIS But he never right. actually we were, we were never given a second episode for him to, to yeah. experience that. Yeah, right? that's true. Like, so, like, in, yeah. like, 55 years, you know, 55-plus years, I, I I love the show. I really do. I just don't have representation. Um, so it's one of those things where I'm I'm hoping will eventually happen. And I'm hoping it's Start not... Start a letter-writing campaign. Yeah. <laughs> like, I want to be a companion, too. Um, but, yeah. Yeah, so I'm, I'm I'm hopeful that will eventually happen as well. But yeah, I think that's probably why sometimes I have trouble connecting with um, some of the characters as a result. Uh, one of the things I love about these companions is that they all know each other, right? Yes, and so they yeah. they have a they have a built in relationship before they even meet the Doctor. And when we start talking about this first episode, you know, there's there's an event that triggers a, a, a definite twist in their all relationship. And of course, the passing of Grace. Mm-hmm. Um, she would have made but, a great companion, though, wouldn't oh, she? Yeah. And 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 we may talk about how problematic <laughs> that that choice was, um, or what that might mean for future relationships. But one of the things I really like is these three friends are very human. Mm-hmm. They are incredibly human, and whereas we might have to have a more dynamic single companion, right? If we had one companion, they have to be able to compete with the Doctor. Right, so if it's just you and the doctor, mm-hmm. you have to be pretty amazing to to make be the one audience... on one, yeah, yeah, well, yeah, and and just make the audience care about you, right? Like, so you either have to have a a really compelling story, or you have to be an astounding individual. But what we get with a crowded TARDIS, which we haven't had in mm-hmm. twenty, thirty years, is that we can explore them as individuals and humans. I don't think any one of them so far is like a computer genius or you know, is an amazing scientist or is, is like, you know, good with math, the, the, the <laughs> yeah. good with, good with math, right? Like, in fact, more than anything else, what, how we've seen these characters is by, uh, what limits, what, not what limits them, but how, what society limits them, right? Like, mm-hmm. so we have our characters that are, are having to go through something and are having to work through something, which I find far more compelling yeah. than having a Mary Sue, 
uh, on board who is just kind of like, oh, well, you're the, the most single most amazing character out there. Of course the Doctor would find you. Now we have a Doctor who is... Uh, very much competing with, and it, it makes, and I like the idea that it's not a companion; they're friends, and that yeah. is more. I think um, uh, the doctor even says that. What, what do I call you? You know, are you mm-hmm. are you? You're not companions. You're not my fam. You know, you're my <laughs> friends, uh, and that it works for me in in a way that um, I find absolutely compelling right from the get go. Um, That's a really good it, point because they each have opportunities to be heroic, but they don't. None of them have to be a hero with a capital H, you know. Uh, yeah. Which is nice. Yeah. Well, we get to just, you know, even just the little things are going to mean something more when you have, when your attention and the story is sort of divested into different characters. Mm-hmm. Let's jump into some of these episodes because we have a lot of stuff to talk about and we are begin. we have been given this taste, right? Three episodes in mm. to a new season, a new doctor, and not just a new doctor, right? New showrunner, new music, new writers, mm. new actors, everything is new. So let's begin with, um, the woman who fell to earth. What do you think about this very first introduction? And, and this is really important. How did you watch it? Because, I have a minor rant. <laughs> I, <laughs> I think I know what it's going to be. Yeah, uh, we all know. We all know what that is. But yeah. I'm just kind of curious how you. Uh, yeah, what did we were, you do? We were unable to watch it live because we were at New York Comic Con at the time it premiered. Yeah, we had. Oh, a, we, had wow. we, we were at. We were stuck at our booth at New York. Not that in a bad way. Like it was great. We had a lot of people come and see us in New York Comic Con, um, but we couldn't leave um, to go watch it in Madison Square Garden with everyone else. So we decided that if we were going to watch it for the first time, we were going to do it on the big screen. So we took advantage of the phantom events that mm-hmm. they do um, and watched it in theater um, with a bunch of other fans, actually. Uh, same capacity, just smaller venue. Um, and so we got to watch it, you know, in its entirety. Mm-hmm. Without, without commercial breaks. Without commercial breaks. Um, <laughs> and they also had, uh, you know, these fun little um clips and shows like kind of doing background stuff about like how they filmed it and Mm -hmm. how they had done the props and stuff so they actually added a lot of bonus feature in theater as well yeah so if you ever get a chance to go to one of those screenings they're a lot of fun yeah the fandom events are great yeah i watched the um a deep breath i think yeah yeah when capaldi was i've already seen it on tv but uh i i definitely that was the last i think it was the last one i went to uh, how about you, Brent? How did you watch the first episode? Well, we fell for the hook, line, and sinker of global simulcast and <laughs> watched maybe the first 20 minutes along with everybody in the UK and then a surprise commercial um, followed by many, many more. So it was okay. Like The first episode's okay, but it really threw off everything with those commercials because it's it it wasn't written that way it wasn't written for commercials like american television is so it really threw off the pace it felt like it was on for like an hour and a half and (laughs) and um (laughs) and and i heard they cut out parts right i heard that too yeah yeah so i went like a, a couple of days later i bought it on amazon and i watched it again with no commercials it was much better it flowed a lot better. I, I couldn't tell what they cut out, but but um, I liked it a lot better watching it uncut. Yeah, I, I think that's what, the thing that we had heard most complaint was the 
the amount of commercials there were on the U.S. Uh, simulcast. Mm-hmm. And, and these like weird, like isolated scene, uh, like mini breaks that they've, they've yeah, taken to do up. on BBC America. Like, why do they do that? I don't understand it. Yeah. They I do it for people who are um, scanning, skipping through the commercials probably. When you, yeah, because it doesn't it doesn't announce that it's doing it. It just cuts back to a scene, right? right and you're right. like, oh crap, I gotta. It, like, it runs yeah. it runs for ten seconds, and then and all that's coming up next on Doctor Who, and then they have two more commercials. Yeah, right, right, right. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I think you can tell by the tenor of my voice that I also fell for the global simulcast. Uh, <laughs> you know, I was so excited. Normally, I would watch with a large group of people um, at one of the local. Uh, our local coffee house here had a, an event, but I really, I had a long day and all I wanted to do was get back in time for this and it was going great. And then the commercial and it, I'll be honest, I haven't gone back and watched episodes one or two a second time. I've watched them just the one time, but for the third episode, I went ahead and bought the entire season on iTunes mm-hmm. and uh, I don't go to work until late on Mondays, so I've just resigned myself to having a nice breakfast and a nice cup of tea mm-hmm. and watching the previous night's Doctor Who. And I won't go on social media before. Yeah. Um, yeah. We, we tend that happens, not, not so to I watch just... until the day after transmission now uh, on, like, Fios On Demand. Right. Um, yeah. Because we just have such weird schedules. Yeah. I, I, if I, I work a fair number of Sundays at the hospital, usually. Um, so by the time I get home, it's like midway through the broadcast. So we always have to kind of watch it later. Um, but tonight we could actually watch it while it airs. Yeah. And like the, the way they schedule it right now, like they show it at eight and they, they, they don't rerun it until like one in the morning, uh, yeah, on BBC America, which isn't how they used to do it. Yeah. But we, we're, we we do have BBC America. So it does help us to kind of go back and catch up if we do have sure. to miss the broadcast. Yeah. And I mean, I like the first episode fine. Uh, what I remember, the parts of it that I remember, I really dug. But the when I think about the experience of watching it, I get I still get a little angry, and so I mm-hmm. I'm going to <laughs> I I'm going to give it maybe even like another week or two, and, and maybe who knows um, I might watch like let's say the first four episodes again leading up to episode five. And I'm doing something this year that I've never done before, which is. I don't watch the coming up trailers. I don't uh-huh. go onto the websites. I do not know reviews. And if it wasn't for social media, um, just posting pictures and such, I, I just wouldn't know what was going on. So, like, I know the title of tonight's episode, but I'm I, I don't I haven't watched the trailer for it. I don't know anything about it. I I haven't done my research. I don't know who wrote it. I don't know who directed it. I don't know what guest stars are going to be because I I didn't watch the this season these guest stars are coming in which i I hear has spoiled some things for a bunch of people so yeah parade of parade of a hundred faces yeah (laughs) right right yeah so what did you think about um so the the very first episode just as an introduction for jody as an introduction to the characters what did you think about the villain what did you think about chibnall's writing or the directing or the new score or the new title or and most Mm -hmm. importantly i guess for most of us the new TARDIS. Mm-hmm. Uh, any any thoughts on just on any of that 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 we were sort of we got the chance to see? I guess the new TARDIS we don't see until episode two, so never mind. That's that. true. We'll, yeah. we'll we'll go into that with the second one. Yeah, the, I mean the the new intro is great, and it, he's he's similar to us. He was like a a fan artist. He just loved doing this stuff, and BBC reached out to him to do this piece, and so he was as equally excited to um, kind of 
see it himself on the big screen. So, you know, we always love it when we hear fellow stories of um, people who were fan artists, fan creators, and ended up doing something official for the show. So we're very excited for him. Mm-hmm. Um, so it was, it looks great. It looks gorgeous. Um, the music is also really good. I like that they kind of have kept, of course, the, the music, especially the intro music to its essence, its core, you still recognize mm-hmm. it, but it's definitely, right. you know that it's new. Um, yeah. So it's a, it's a nice take on it. And the whole look of this of the season too, uh, you know, they switched camera technologies uh, and they've also changed aspect ratio. So it has mm-hmm. a much more filmic quality than, than it previously has. Uh, and the way that it's shot is, is very almost like each episode is a little miniature film. Um, and it's, it's interesting. It, uh, it's distinct. Um, and I, I haven't quite decided yet whether I, I prefer this style to the way it was before or whether it's just, you know, new and different and it's, it, it's its own thing. Um, but yeah, it definitely has, has a really polished look. Mm-hmm. And, and I like the, I mean, the first episode was a, a good first episode. I think with any new doctor, you always have to have that introduction of everybody. It's just like in a movie. It's like the first 10, 15 minutes you have to know all, you have to learn what all the characters are and then you get into it. Um, so it's, it's doing what it's supposed to. Um, I, I thought that it was interesting. They kind of did a humorous take on an alien invasion, essentially. Um, I think Mr. Toothy face there. Yeah. yeah, (laughs) It was, it was good makeup because it was, it looked very gross to me. Um, and in the best way possible, like as in it looked believable. Um, so I, I thought it was, I thought it was, it was, it was a classic meets modern. Like Mm -hmm. it's kind of got that fun, sort of jokey but serious at the same time i think um honestly the the whole situation with grace Mm -hmm. was really i felt like a really pivotal moment for that episode and how it ends up how you see it spring up in following episodes which is very realistic in life when you lose Mm -hmm. someone that important to you Mm-hmm. You don't just get over it because you went on a new adventure. You don't just forget about that person. It lingers. Um, so it's it's like what you were saying. There's they're very human. Mm-hmm. Like these new companions are just in a lot of ways the essence of humanity, um, and they represent what it's like to to be a human, to understand and feel loss and the grief process that con- is a continuing thing. Um, more than just like, oh, this person died. I'm really sad. This one episode, and then we move on. Like they're actually mm-hmm. showing more of the emotional consequences of that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's I, true. Yeah. I mean, <clears throat> we frequently have potential companions, right? They introduce us to potential companions in in many episodes, and then we lose them. We know that they're not going to actually join for one reason or another. Sometimes it's because they die. Did any of you suspect what was going to happen to Grace from the beginning, knowing full well that like they had posted, these are our three companions moving forward. And she's like, man, she's perfect. She's amazing. She should totally be a companion. Why isn't she going to be? Oh, (laughs) I kind of, well, I think there was that foreshadowing of her going, I'm going to go climb this extraordinarily tall tower. For no good reason. And I'm, I'm of a a retirement age. So I, you know what I mean? I was like, oh, like I kind of, I didn't know, but I assumed that's what would happen. Um, I think the unexpected part was how, uh, was how they told that story. Like, Mm -hmm in the aftermath of what happened to her, um, mm-hmm. that they didn't just, you know, 
move on from it. So I think, I think that was what was surprising to me was the show did focus on it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. How about yeah. you, Brent? How was, what was your reaction? Um, I did not see that coming, and I'll tell you why. Uh, before the episode was released, um, I think it was DoctorWhoNews.net posted a bunch of um, pictures from the episode, and some were publicity shots, and some were actual pictures from the episode. Uh, and there's one that I thought it was apparently it was a publicity shot. I thought it was from the actual episode, and it was all of them standing together in the clothes that they were wearing, except for Jody had on her her Thirteenth Doctor costume. And so, okay, okay, this is probably near the end. Well, then she died, and I'm like, oh, wait, wait a minute. They didn't have that scene where they're all standing together. <laughs> and then, no. I, then I realized it was a publicity shot, and I was like, oh, uh. they got me. So uh, I did not see that coming. But, yeah, I did like her. I did like her. I was hoping she'd stay on at least for a little bit longer. Or, or you know, sort of hang back at home while everybody leaves and, and come back later like Donna's right. mom or something mm-hmm. like oh, that. Oh, that is not a character who's going to hang back at home. Right. No, no. no. Those characters, like, she's the one who's going to compel. And that's... that's like, maybe what... she would have been like a Brian Williams. Like, she would have, like, been like, oh, I'll take care of these things. You guys go, you know, like... Yeah. yeah. Like... <laughs> I was actually quite sad about her, about the loss yeah. of that character. And it was interesting because it didn't take long for me to attach to that character to then feel her loss. Um, yeah. And to feel that that sorrow that, mm-hmm. you know, the other two characters yeah. were going through. It was skillfully done. Yeah. Yeah. I just, it still irks me. Fridging as a, a motivation for other characters, it still, it still bugs me uh, when you when you kill a character to motivate everybody else. And like, mm. especially one where you're like, you know, yes, I'm, I'm loving watching these friends, but you know, if you had told me that we could get rid of all three of those friends, but, but the doctor was just going to travel in around for the entire season with grace. I, <laughs> God, I would be really tempted to just go, I want to watch that series. Yeah. You know, like yeah. she was that good though. In many ways she is sort of, I don't want to say I'm Mary Sue, but, but like that sort of, vivacious character yes. being snuffed out is a yeah. bummer. Well, I think, I think also, too, they didn't, they weren't planning to travel with her, right? Like, at, at the end yes. of that first episode. Yeah. They they just were like, accident. they're like, yeah. okay, bye! Oh, crap. Now we're in space. You know what I mean? Like, <laughs> so they weren't, it wasn't actually their motivation to go initially. They just got caught in it and now they can't get back. <laughs> so that's where they're at. Well, let's move on to that second one uh, where they go on to their next adventure, the Ghost Monument. Uh, what did you think about that one? That one I felt was a little bit less than the sum of its parts in some ways. Uh, Like, I think they knew they wanted to make the TARDIS the ghost monument and then tried to build a story around it. Like, they knew where they were ending. They were just trying to figure out how to get to that ending. Mm -hmm. Um, So it wasn't, I don't think it was, I mean, there's only three episodes to choose from. Um, (laughs) I don't think it's the strongest of the three. Like, that's not saying much. Um, But yeah, I, I think it was... It was it was good. I think it was interesting in the sense that like you got to see, um, you know, these companions who are friends who are not beholden to the doctor's rules yet, so they're just going to do their own thing. Um, they don't they don't have like it's 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 very realistic in that relationship. It's very early on in 
her relationship with these characters. They don't have that complete trust in her yet. They believe that she knows what she's doing. Um, but they also don't follow any of the rules. Like she tells her, like, we don't use guns. And Ryan's like, I'm going to use this. Like, he's like, I'm going to go out there and go start shooting people. Like I play, you know, you know, Halo and stuff. And it, it and obviously didn't work out. Um, but I, I think it's, in, it, it is interesting in that, like they, it's demonstrating this growth that they still have to have um, as friends of the doctor, as companions of the doctors. Like they're not at that point yet. Yeah. And I, I didn't really attach to either of the racer characters you know, oh. that they're who who really, you know, we're supposed to care about them getting to their final destination. Uh, you know, they're supposed to be pushing the story along, but they kinda don't. Um that that I guess it it didn't quite grab me in the way I was hoping it would. I like yeah. I like the female racer. She actually yeah. had like more of a motivation. Like yeah. the other guy was like, I just want to win because I, I wanna mm-hmm. win. Like you didn't really have any other motivation. Yeah, I think I think um you're you're sort of rooting for her. Yeah, uh, which was the idea more, of her character, yeah. Yeah, which is kind of a shame where you almost want to feel for both of them. Like, you should have a, an interest in both characters because if you're just rooting for one and the other one's in, not really an antagonist per se, um, and the, I, I don't know about you, but I felt like their uh, way to have them both win felt... A little tidy. Uh, obvious and a little t- yeah like i thought the whole thing felt like kind of tidy yeah, yeah i feel like his character he i think i feel like they were trying to write him like like jane from firefly but they never quite got to that yes. characterization mm-hmm. yes mm-hmm. you know In what fact, i mean you only no, got even some of the music felt like firefly yeah 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 like they were trying to get there but they didn't quite get that extra couple of inches to get there what do you think brent I thought I had good moments here and there. There was some really funny stuff, uh, like like the part with uh, with Ryan thinking, "Oh, I got this. I play video <laughs> games." And then he shoots them all down. And, yeah, I win. I win. And they all get back. And, okay, bye. <laughs> That's that was really funny. Uh, but overall, I, I didn't take it very seriously. To me, it was sort of like a light, fun episode. Yeah, mm-hmm. and it was more of like a journey. And I, I did not pick up on what the ghost monument was. I totally didn't. So when the TARDIS shows up at the end, it was like one of those punch the air moments. I was like, yes, it's here. And then I'm, the whole time at the end, I'm thinking, oh, please go in. Please go in. Don't, yeah, and then don't never- make us wait <laughs> another week. <laughs> I want to see the new TARDIS. Please go in. Don't make us wait another week. But And they did. I don't know. Drew, what do you think? And what do we think about the the new interior, too? I want to I want to know what people think about that. Before we talk about the TARDIS interior, I, I want to talk a little bit about one of the things I think that this episode did really well. Mm-hmm. And that is, I feel that it continued two of the rela- two of the three relationships of the friends mm. um, in a in a logical conclusion. Once again, Yaz is is um, and this is the writing; it's not the actress. I don't think they've done anything with Yaz that makes me go, "That's who her character is," other than she is a woman who is also a police officer. Like they, they, Mm -hmm. she has one snippet that she has something kind of contention with her family, but, but it really feels like they've been focusing on Ryan and Graham's relationship, which I like, but not at the exclusion of another character. Mm -hmm. But, you know, again, we have 10 episodes to, to flesh out these characters, but, um, we got some really interesting stuff with Graham that I feel like, um, he is, is, um, the relationship between the two of them that he's really trying and that there's definitely some pushback from Ryan. I like that. I like that they're having to work on 
that mm-hmm. situation because it cannot be easy for either one of them. Uh, and again, Lee, it goes to what you're talking about with the, the grief and as being a through line. Ryan as a character is someone who is going to push the buttons. Um, like if something goes wrong with the TARDIS, it probably is going to be Ryan's fault. Um, <laughs> like he's, um, he's the guy who's going to pick up the stuff without thinking about it and not in a, not in a malicious an way. Idiot. Yeah. Yeah, like yeah, he's just, yeah. He's, he's trying to be helpful, but it ends up not being so. Yeah, uh, but it, it's like if you're like if you said which is the character that is going to accidentally hit something, and not because they're an idiot, it's going to be Ryan, right? Like, mm-hmm. and it allows me to go. That's part of his character. I get that, and we see that again in the third episode, which we'll get to. But they, I appreciate that there, someone there has an idea of who these characters are and allows them to go through. Just want to throw that out there. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so let's talk the interior. What do you think? Well, you know, I, I've scrutinized a lot of TARDIS interiors because, <laughs> <Right. laughs> you know, we, we do render those in pixel form. Uh, so I, I do enjoy, uh, you know, you can see a lot of nods to to things from, you know, the history of the show. But they've also kind of pushed it in an interesting new direction. Um, I got to say, I'm, I'm not entirely sold on the giant crystals yet, but I think I'll get there. Um, I love the color scheme. And yeah. uh, I, I do really enjoy, uh, you know, the sort of return to uh, kind of the constructed uh, hodgepodge type controls. Um, they're kind of in a, a contrast. A lot of the rest of the room is, is quite, you know, des- quite designed and quite refined. Uh, but the console itself uh, looks very, you know, slapped together in a lot of ways, which is neat. Um, it has a very uh, Eccleston Tenet kind of vibe to it. Yeah, me personally, I like I do actually like the crystals. I like that it's a nod to her Sonic. Um, I the hexagons were interesting because I, I I thought it was interesting that they were layered. Like it looked like it was just one wall, but as you as they panned out, you realize it's several layers of hexagons. Um, I and this is a weird thing. I'm not a fan of the hexagon shape. It's just one of those. I, I have the same issue when it comes to beehives. I don't know what it is. I'm just not a fan of that. (laughs) So it has nothing to do with the show at all. It's just, I have a a weird sort of phobia about it. I don't know what it is. Um, But so I'm not a a big fan of that, but I do like that it was layered and it was nuanced. Um, And it was, it's interesting because there's already, there's so many people on that TARDIS and it feels slightly tighter because of how large the set pieces are. So yeah. it, it almost, you know, while you had like with the 11th Doctor, they could kind of just run around. Yeah. Um, and the they would never. Massive. Right. It was massive. You never run into each other. Um, you know, the 10th and the 9th had, you know, the inner circle. So it kind of had the characters stay inside of that circle. This one, it's it's there's so much stuff. It does kind of force the characters. Um, and this may be purposeful to kind of stay within the confines of the crystals. Like there isn't this big vast playground for them they're kind of stuck near the console like the actual like console control um which might play into some sort of story later um but yeah i mean i i personally like i like pretty light up crystals i just (laughs) (laughs) i think it was cool how about you brent um it reminded me a lot of the eighth ninth and tenth dr tardises as far as the organic look um everything's brown (laughs) yeah um it's um i don't know i think it'll grow on me Uh, my favorite in the new series is uh capaldi's tardis you know yes i thought it was gorgeous love the way that looks so i was i was kind of expecting something really different like a different color or 
So to me, it was kind of like a throwback. But I mean, it's not bad. I, I just I think it's gonna take a little bit of time to get used to it. Mm-hmm. Sure. I kind of <laughs> like the the lighting of the of the the room though. They they're focusing on like the oranges and the purples, and you know, mm-hmm. it gives it a very different kind of vibe. Well, it brings out the colors in her costume. That's true. Yeah. Yeah. It's it's definitely. I mean, I don't think any of these are designed. Uh, without thinking about yes. the the actors involved and and the logistics, uh, for my part, when I saw that, I I think we had we had talked um, we were talking I think the night before we were talking about doing this podcast, and so I had you two in mind. And when I saw the TARDIS interior for the first time, I'm like, oh man, he has got his work cut yeah. out <laughs> on this one. <laughs> Yeah, there that... is so much going on. <laughs> yeah, that's gonna. This one is definitely gonna be, be challenging. A huge yeah. challenge yeah. for him. I think. I think the the TARDIS interior that gave him the the pixelated TARDIS interior that he had the most issue with or the most trouble with was the eleventh, the first go around because there's no right angles there and he's working in pixels, essentially squares. Um, so he had a lot of difficulty with trying to create that vibe of like the 360 and creating that sort of like three dimensionality without using harsh angles mm-hmm. um so then when i saw this one i was like oh no this is a new one this is a new challenge this is gonna be way harder <laughs> than the 11th yeah it's especially tricky too, the interlocking lattice work for yes. the walls. oh my goodness yeah, yeah. that'll be fun uh, also, they haven't really shown the room uh, in a very wide angle. I've noticed they, they do a lot of very tight shots in, in the new series. They don't mm-hmm. do a lot of wide angle shots. Um, so that, that's going to be a challenge to kind of uh, figure out where everything is in that space. It's funny. He just finished the console room for the 5th, 6th, and 7th. And I'm like, that's your last easy one, dude. Like, <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, that, that was much simpler. Yeah. Having having seen that one, yeah. And, and that looks so good. That Thank looks you. so good. I, I, I know we definitely want to, we'll talk about that at some point in time. So let's talk Rosa. Um, yeah. BBC is taking uh, a look at the um, American Civil Rights Movement. Yeah. Anybody else feel a little bit of apprehension before when that was first announced? So yeah, I... Just a bit. Well, here's the thing. So, like I said, I was I was a Quantum Leap fan growing up. Right. Um. So for me, and Quantum Leap was my very first sci-fi show, like I mentioned. So it was like a Quantum Leap meets Doctor Who. And I love both those shows. So it wasn't a bad thing for me at all. Like this is not a, uh, this is not a, um, this is a compliment, actually. Um, I love that it kind of had both things, you know, going for it. Um, I don't have any issue with sci-fi revisiting historical events at all. Um, that's what my first sci-fi show was like. It was nothing but vis- revisiting historical events. Mm-hmm. Um, I think it was, it was very honest in its portrayal, um, especially of, of Rosa and how she ended up being, starting that movement, because I think realistically, you know, heroes are always regular people that do extraordinary acts or things. Um, and it's ultimately history that remembers them and labels them as heroes. Like they never call themselves heroes when they do it. That's a great observation. Yeah. Um, so I, I really, you know, I just, I, I really like that they did it that way. And I also really liked the way that they had Ryan and Yaz have that moment together, mm-hmm. you know, that we had talked about earlier, but then also I love Ryan's reaction to meeting these historical figures. He was never that invested in these historical figures. Yeah. That was really interesting. Like, you know, that uh, moment where that they, he's like, they, they made him, you know, sort of, you know, not very well informed about all this stuff at the beginning uh, and didn't really 
you know, know the details or really care, uh, and then comes to care over the course of the story. Yeah, when he gets involved, and, and even when he has that moment where he sits there and he goes, you know, excuse me, you know, Dr. Martin Luther King, yes, Miss Rosa Parks, and he goes, holy crap, like he has that moment on his face, and he's like, I just said those words, like that yeah. sentence just came out of my mouth. Yeah. But like what you were saying, Drew, about, you know, you were a little bit apprehensive to begin with. I mean, I, I got to hand it to the production staff uh, for tackling this, you know, uh, and the way they did. I mean, they just hit it totally unflinchingly. And, you know, I, I thought it was incredibly ballsy, honestly, to have, you know, basically Ryan get punched by a racist within the first five minutes yeah uh and that kind of sets the tone for the rest of this it's like no this is this we're not sugarcoating this at all like this is real life for people yeah. who live during that time period yeah like like this where the the scene where the the policeman kind of forces his way into their hotel room you know kind of trying to sniff out the the undesirables yeah was like it it just kind of makes you go oh man that was a horrible time yeah. in history and they, they did not uh, you know, skimp on the details there at all. I also love like Graham's reaction when he's like, I, I don't want to be a part of this. Yeah. But he, he realizes he has to do it in order to ensure that history still plays out the way it does. Um, and I thought that was a really interesting way of going about it. You know, like that this is a man who is, un, you know, his wife had, told him don't act like this character don't be this character and now he has to be part of that in order yeah. to make sure life is better and it's interesting because quantum leap had done a couple episodes like that where um scott bakula's character had to jump into the wrong side of history and how he has to essentially continue to perpetuate it to ensure that history still plays out the way it's supposed to um so quantum leap had also actually um done a couple of episodes in that way too so it was very it very much had that same sort of essence to it yeah it was brave it was it was brave of them to do that and uh i think they handled it in an ex excellent way yeah mm -hmm. and i think i, I think, think oh sorry no 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 please oh, go ahead i was think, i was gonna say i think yaz's character was also interesting as well because she also had this moment of like i don't know where i'm supposed to be on this bus um, and it just reminds me, and like Nathan knows the story, but like my mom, when, so my, my parents are immigrants, I'm from an immigrant family, um, and like first generation born in the U S and my mom tells the story of when she first came to the U S. Um, oh, we, we should mention that they immigrated from Vietnam. Oh yes. I'm sorry. Yes. So I'm Vietnamese. So they immigrated from Vietnam, um, during the Vietnam war. Um, they immigrated here in 1976. And so when she came over and she was in Florida at first, so they, most of my family were in refugee camps and um, had been sponsored over. Um, and there were a lot of camps in the U.S. as well. So my mom and dad uh, got sponsored from Guam over to Florida initially. And down there, they still had segregated bathrooms. Um, so they had white and colored bathrooms. And my mom tells a story and she goes, I, I didn't understand. She's like, I kind of looked at my arm and went, I'm tan. So I guess I go in the colored bathroom. And so she walked towards the color bathroom and somebody had to stop her and be like, no, no, you don't go there. And she's like, but I'm not white. And they're like, uh, and it was just this moment. And it was just such an interesting story about, um, kind of like what in a lot of ways the Asian experience is like, we don't quite fit in any particular check. Like we're, you know, we're seen as minorities when 
white people view us, but then minorities don't really see us as part of it. It's just interesting. We're like in our own weird sort of limbo. Yeah, like sort of own checkbox. Um, but it it seeing that when Yaz Yaz was kind of struggling with that um, when it came to the bus, it was like, yep, that actually did happen. Like that was what it was like for a lot of people who didn't who weren't black or white at the time. And well, it also kind of highlights you know the arbitrary nature of discrimination. Yeah, you know, it's like. You know, the the system is not set up to oppress you, it's set up to oppress them. You know, uh, and that was kind of the weird realization, you know, she confronted there. Mm-hmm. Brent, what do you think? Well, uh, what's that I smell? Oh, I think it's Hugo for this episode. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I, t- without a doubt, it's my favorite so far. Um, not only was it a great story, but it was educational which is um, something that Chibnall said he wanted to bring back, mm-hmm. and he did. Um, it was really gripping. It was the end was. I'm a big music fan. I play guitar and all this, and it just the uh, moving use of uh, "Rise" from Andrew yeah. Day. Yes, at the end, and I was like, oh, <laughs> and it, it got me, and I, I just learned a lot of things. Yeah, it's a, it's um, like you. I definitely think it was my favorite of the the three so far. I feel like we we got a better understanding of who Jodie Whittaker is as the Doctor when this one. Mm-hmm. There's some pretty cheeky humor uh, involved. I like that she's very hands on. I like that they, uh, unlike like say a tenant Doctor who would have walked in and have would have told everybody what was happening. Like mm-hmm. she would have said this is happening, this is happening, this is happening. She had the group split up and do information and do work so that they could get an understanding of a timeline. So that is a very different take on the Doctor than we've we've seen recently. Like the idea that the Doctor is not omnipotent in every direction mm-hmm. and then yeah. to be able to... But, but she's still aware enough to warn Yaz and Ryan to stay in the TARDIS, right? Like, mm-hmm. like realizing... Because I have watched every episode of Doctor Who that is available for me to watch, and I have never once actually been afraid for the Doctor or the Companions, because the show is still very much a family show, and I don't think, you know, that they usually telegraph when something really as bad is going to happen to the Mm -hmm. Doctor and the Companions. Like, we know when the last episode is going to be for the Doctor or or particular Companion, but let me tell you... Not on Scaro, not on Mondas. There hasn't been a single planet that they have landed on where I have ever felt any sort of dread or apprehension mm. for the Doctor until they went yeah. to yeah. 1955 Montgomery, Alabama. Like that, like there's that moment really early on, and they're walking off, and all we see is the corner of a police car. Yes. And my mind is going, there's a hundred different ways that this could go down that the show could never recover. Like, mm-hmm. am I 100% sure that they're not going to kill off another companion? Because, honest to God, I was really afraid for Ryan. And had this yeah. been an HBO presentation, uh, yeah. there's no way they get to leave without something terrible happening. Yeah. Uh, I yeah. think I think it was, I, I think you hit it right in the head. It was, uh, so I think someone had said, like, out of all the places the Doctor has travel to the scariest places, 1950s, Birmingham, Alabama. Like, it, you know what I mean? Like, it was, like, that That ended up being the most frightening place. And I think I think a lot of that is due to the fact that they really did pull from history. 
um, and you know, our understanding of history and what realistically could happen. Because they did do that a little bit with Martha. I think when she traveled with the 10th Doctor during Shakespearean times. Yeah, but she, even the historical parts of that were kind of played for humor. Right. Like she had even mentioned, she's like, is this a problem? Because I'm, you know, I'm mm-hmm. a little dark, you know, sort of thing. And I think Bill Potts had also made that mention too, mm-hmm. where she's like, I got a lot of melana here. Like, <laughs> am I okay being here? And Capaldi's like, oh, you know, you're fine. So they, they they've kind of, circumnavigated it in a lot of ways with previous companions who were of of color and you know with diverse companions but this was the first time where it was like yeah just existing in this time space could get you killed yeah and they they weren't uh they weren't afraid to to broach that topic and not just broach it but like really make it known and you felt that for the characters what did you think about the threat and how it was handled so there's 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 a couple of storylines right we have a we have a sci-fi element to this this story yeah with, mr uh, uh space racist from uh space racist from the future future yes. yeah uh, i thought it was interesting you know, in the context of you know a lot of what's going on these days is like here's here's you know basically a white supremacist who was radicalized in prison uh you know that's kind of a kind of a bold choice to kind of go down that road um you know and he's he's doing all of this just because of his racial hatred i think i think it was they definitely were good about staying on track with what they were wanting to do so they i thought it was fascinating that was the monster they chose um and i i i kind of loved it in the sense that he he they had him do a humanoid form you know what I mean? He looks like anybody who could fit in in that time period. So he looks like anybody else. And the amount of havoc and pain and de- destruction he can cause with someone who looks, quote unquote, normal, um, I think was very purposeful mm-hmm. in that telling. You know, like how someone who can appear mainstream can be quite dangerous and, you know, really endanger other people's lives. Um I, I think that was a very purposeful move on their part. And I think it was a very powerful move because they could have made him look like a crazy monster with like, you know, they can do any sort of CGI or any sort of practical effects to make these monsters. We've seen mm-hmm. them do it before, but they sure. didn't. They went with yeah just a regular guy, you know. Uh, you're both Star Trek fans. And, oh, yeah. Uh, I think you'll appreciate this. Um, what I thought was fascinating is that he is from the future. He's a racist from the future. Yeah. I I honestly I was trying to think of a show where we had a human racist from the future. Like mm-hmm. right so you know you you on Star Trek you'll get these like these two races on this one planet, you know, mm-hmm. who are very different looking who are like these rodent people don't like these cobra people, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. Like, no, they're black on the left one. side of their face. Yeah. Right. <laughs> but but to have have someone who is white and to hate people who are not white in the future, I thought was a really interesting choice. And it was not something that occurred to me when I watched it. This, this is, this is the episode I have seen more than once. I've watched this one three times because, yeah. um, I haven't done a lot of commenting it on online because I've been very careful about <laughs> what I have to say about something like this. Yeah. Um, I think, I think it is. Um, I think, that's the difference. Um, you know, Nathan and I were f- 
for those of you all who don't know, we're an interracial couple. Um, so we have, we've had over the course of our 12 years together, had many discussions on race and, um, you know, gender inequality, just all this stuff. Like this is stuff that, you know, we, we discuss on a regular basis just because it does affect us every day. It affects me every day. Um, and so one of the things I've often talked about is how, for me, when I watched that episode, it was, I could see it. Like they, they had a white guy be very racist and endangering the lives of the other minorities on the show. And I'm like, yeah, like, yeah, I could, it was, you know, I could see it from the start versus, you know, like, as you mentioned, you didn't see it initially. And I think part of that is as a a white male, you see through the lens of a white male, whether or not you mean to, it just, it does. It, it colors some of your viewpoints of what's going on. Um, And so you don't see the danger as much as I would see the danger off the bat. Like I, I can see the potential threat much sooner, probably as I'm as a female minority than, let's say, you know, a male, uh, as a white male, or even like sometimes a white female, you know, it's, it's just, it's, it's different. It's just how, you know, I grew up. It's, it's the threats that I see, the, the things that I encounter um, at my workplace or outside of my workplace. So it, yeah. So I think, I think it is one of those things where upon following, you know, future watchings, I think, um, individuals who may have not seen the issue the first time may see it more. So mm-hmm. on second viewing. So you found that to be very believable though. Yeah, it was very believable. I mean, I mm-hmm. deal with that all the time. <laughs> like that's just the react. That's what's happening now. I have a logistics question mm-hmm. for, for the group. Do we count this episode as a Doctor Who historical? Hmm. Uh, and and I and I and let me preface it by saying, given that the threat, that the the main the the narrative threat comes from the future and involves high tech technology, is this, as far as Doctor Who is concerned, a historical? Well, I guess it's it's historical in the same way that the time meddler is a historical. Okay, fair enough. You know, so it's mm-hmm. it's prim- it's primarily based in historical context, but it does have some sci-fi elements driving the plot. Right? What do you yeah, think? Yeah, it's not a pure historical, but it's a pseudo-historical. Mm-hmm. Is uh, the way I've heard it described in Big Finish a lot because they do a lot of that. Mm-hmm. Okay, uh, but but yeah, re- really the only. The only element, I guess, besides them being there, is is the uh, is the future racist dude, <laughs> yeah, uh, from the future. But everything else is is certainly historical. I mean, because they could have taken this story in a much different scenario, right? Where Rosa Parks becomes aware that uh, there's a time traveling so and so, and like it could have, you know, like they could have taken it in a yeah. really horrific route. Right, she like, never, she never think, knows about that part of it at all. Yeah, right. like sort of like she knew Elvis and Frank Sinatra, but like Rosa was never aware. Um, right. Yeah, I think it's historical fantasy. Um, mm. You know, I, I think it's uh, it's based on history, and and it's got these fantastical elements of sci-fi. Um, so I, I I think it's 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 a it's an interesting take on it. Um, sure. It was very much like um, Vincent and the Doctor. Mm-hmm. Yes, yeah, yeah. And where they were kind of like, oh, well, wait a minute, it's a Doctor Who episode. We should put a monster in here, and then you have all the stuff with the the monster running around that you see in a mirror, mm-hmm. right? But the core uh, of it is the character, 
Right, sure. exactly. Yeah. But but and this is a very important distinction <laughs> distinction. Um, Vincent and the Doctor changes history, right? Like at the end, we mm. see a painting that specifically references Amy. Mm-hmm. Yeah, uh, they have changed history. Whereas you can't do that with mm-hmm. this story. Uh-huh. And, I mean, it's it's quibbling, right? Because that's what Doctor Who fans are going to do. Uh, we're going to nitpick on that aspect of it because that is kind of the nature of our fandom. But could you? Um, and, could you argue that they changed it in the fact that people from the future were on the bus in order to allow that timelines are occurring? Yeah, it's like some of the details may have changed. Yeah, but uh, the the you know event still came about as it was supposed to. Uh, speaking of the fandom, because uh, we know that we are we are all Doctor Who fans here, but when we bring our guests onto the show, uh, we have them talk about something that is not Doctor Who because we know that Doctor Who is not the end-all and be-all of fandom. So uh, we're going to change things. What? <laughs> well, you know what? For you guys, <laughs> I've, I've seen your recent pictures of your Dalek collection. You know, maybe we can scrap the second half of this. We just talk about that nonsense. Um, every guest that comes on, we ask them to bring a non-Doctor Who show with them uh, to talk about it. And we, we've done our homework. We reviewed it. So would you tell us a little bit about the show that you chose and why you chose it? Yeah. So the show that we chose is Community. Um, it is a Dan Harmon creation. It actually first premiered in 2009. Um, so for us, we started watching it when it first premiered in that time period. Um, and it, it was one of those shows that we watched together as a couple. Um, we, I think we were three years into our relationship at that time and we just found a bunch of shows that we liked watching. Um, and so this was one of them. Yeah, I guess we should describe what the show is a little bit for those who aren't familiar with it. Uh, it's a it's an ensemble cast comedy uh, set in a community college. Um, it you know uh, it's not realistic. It it you know has 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 wacky wacky. <laughs> not, uh, it's you not know, realistic. What? Well, you know it's it's not it's not in, intended to be uh, you know. Uh, the the setting of the community college is a, is a sidebar. Like it's exactly, not actually yeah. the focus of it but it is one of the first series i can think of that really uses a community college setting as its its uh home base yeah um which i found to be interesting yeah i think so um i uh so i have like a i have like a graduate degree but before that very start of my educational career i um had stayed home to help take care of my dad but i um went to community college and so I think I kind of really liked the show initially because I was like, oh, yeah. And then I was like, this is nothing like my community college. Um, <laughs> I think the only thing that it helped um, was the fact that in a community college, realistically, it is a huge, diverse uh, group of people that go. You have all ages. You have, and especially where I went in Northern Virginia, immensely diverse student body. Because um, Northern Virginia is like the, probably the most diverse area in all of the U.S. So that's just like how the community mm-hmm. college is because that's where all these different people live um, and just, you know, diverse motivations and all mm-hmm. stuff. So that was, yeah. that was actually the most realistic part of it was the random, what appeared to be a random ensemble. Yeah. Enabled them to create a collection of characters that you really wouldn't see in another context. Uh, you know, that I can, I can. Yeah. Recall. I think it would just be in a community college. Yeah. 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 <laughs> um, but yeah, so we, we actually initially um, started watching it uh, because Iron Man had just come out in 2008, um, but it was before geek fandoms became mainstream. So this is long before the MCU really took off. 
Um, it was before we had this plethora of shows that we have now and like you can just pick and choose, you know, what you want to do. Um, and it was like really the first show we watched together that highlighted in a positive manner fandoms and geek and nerd culture. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and it was also shown in a clever way that didn't talk down to the audience. Um, so I think that was like a huge thing for us. And and we got really into it really early on just because um, if when you watch the show itself, it's such a huge variety of storytelling, but with the same characters. So it's fascinating because in a lot of a lot of times the episodes are vastly different from each other in terms of their approach and their tone. Yeah, often individual episodes will be you know a parody of a particular style of storytelling or a particular type of show or film. Uh, you know they they do a, a fantastic job of recontextualizing that into the show's framework using their characters you know uh it, it's just it's brilliant in in the way that they were able to kind of incorporate so many different genres uh it, yeah it's really quite smart yeah and i think they were very cognizant of what they were doing like they were breaking the fourth wall without breaking the fourth wall um and really also this was one of those shows that had like a significantly diverse cast um without relying on typical tropes of mm-hmm. race or gender um, you had people who were a variety of races, but they weren't just relying on their race to be who they were. Mm-hmm. Um, you had somebody who was, a, the assumption is on the spectrum of some sort mm-hmm. um, or s- something else. Um, and then, you know, with other shows at that time, you tended to have the same tone throughout the show. And this one did not do that. There was a huge, huge variety of how they did it. Um And I think, too, it was a way to have geek culture on display um, in a non-apologetic, non-parody way Mm -hmm. as well. Like they weren't making fun of it. They were celebrating it. Yeah. They were using using sort of geek geek, uh, you know, framework to parody other types of of media. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, To to your point about um, that. The Big Bang Theory is a contemporary of this show, right? Yeah. So Mm -hmm. even though it's run for, I think, 13 years now, whereas I think after... I've only watched the first season of it, but uh, I've watched, seen examples. Whereas The Big Bang Theory is sort of, is more laughing at the nerdery. Mm-hmm. Uh, community sort of is laughing with it. Like it, it is, I think it may be the nerdiest show that I have ever yeah. seen on television. <laughs> <laughs> like, like the references. So like, you know, you get things like Family Guy where they're constantly making references, mm-hmm. but they're non sequiturs. It yeah. essentially mm-hmm. feels like a clip show. The community takes those references and, and takes that like one or two references and just uses it to drive the plot or drive a character forward. Mm-hmm. Or, um, I mean, like, I don't think any show has ever taken the kind of chances, yeah, with its cast and storytelling or branched outside of the realms of storytelling in the way that community has. And I kind of wonder, like, people who are not, you know, sci-fi fantasy genre fans, what they get out of watching the show if they don't understand the references. Because that's so much a part of, of what that that series is about. Yeah, I think like people, like Big Bang, in the sense, because of the way they approach uh, like geek and nerd culture, people who aren't part of that still get those references a lot of times. But it, community is like so like niche a lot of times with their references. Yeah, they assume you have a knowledge base that you're bringing to the show. Yeah. And that you get what they're what they're going for. Um, 
so yeah, I do. I do wonder other people who aren't as steeped in it as we are, um, if they get it. But I mean, I would watch the show. I'm like, I get what they're doing there. Like, I would be so excited <laughs> when I get some of these references. I mean, it's like The Simpsons in many ways, right? Like, there's there is a certain there's a story that you can follow. Mm-hmm. Uh, you don't have to know the references to get the f- plot that they're moving forward with, but there are certain things that a cursory uh, understanding of sci-fi, like you can know that Star Trek exists but not watch a single episode, but still ref- recognize the fact that they are referencing Star Trek. Mm-hmm. But if they're going to make a direct <clears throat> a direct line to it, you might not get it, but you still get that there's a joke being played there, right? Like, yeah. yeah. This show, I'm sure there's a scholarly text where you could just peel back joke after joke after reference after reference. I mean, especially for television and mm-hmm. cinema. But they branch out to video games and thankfully role-playing games. Yes, yeah. yeah. So I, I didn't start watching the show until um, its third season uh, because I I don't think I had a television at the time and I just don't watch network television at, at all, uh, at least not on viewing. There's almost no TV that is appointment TV for me outside of Doctor Who. Um, and I went to a convention and someone's like, oh, oh, Drew, you're going to love this. Check it this. And it was a picture of the community cast as the Avengers <laughs> playing Dungeons and Dragons. Yeah. Yes. And I'm like, I do not understand what you are showing me. Is that the <laughs> and like, no, no, it's community as the Avengers playing Dungeons and Dragons. And I'm like, one, what? <laughs> Two, huh? Um, but they're like, yeah, there's an episode where they play Dungeons and Dragons. I'm like, sold. I'm sold. That's all you had to say, right? And I went back and I I watched. I thought it was in season one, so I watched all of season one, and I then fell in love with it and watched all of it. Like you know, like it was. I started watching it at season four. We can talk about season four as we move forward. Um, but uh, that's that was my intro to it. Like they chose a niche bit of uh, nerdery mm-hmm. that mm-hmm. I get almost zero representation from. And that's how they hooked me, and that's how they brought me in. But, you know, you don't have to love Dungeons & Dragons to love every single episode, but that was the episode that sold me. I also didn't get what was going on uh, in that one episode, but but it's, you know, you have to go back, because the relationships in that are are definitely something. Like you said, it's an ensemble cast. Yeah, yeah. Like, I mean, it was actually the first major role for Donald Glover and Kim Jong. I think think it was his first... I think you may be right about that. Yeah, I know for sure it was Donald Glover, because he hadn't done any... He'd done writing before that point. Uh, He'd done a couple of shows, but none of them had gotten any kind of real mm-hmm. um, exposure yeah. in the, in the and, same way. And I think it was Ken's first major role as well. It was before he started making the movies, before he did mm-hmm. like Hangover or anything like that. Um, yeah, I think it was. I think it was like not shortly after he quit being a physician, and he was like, "I'm going to go do be an actor." <laughs> right? <laughs> yeah, that's nuts that, that he actually was. That's... Yeah. Um, but yeah, we. It, it's. I think it's a. It's. It was. It was. It was almost like almost needed at that time because like at well how I don't know we were like college aged I guess you would say out of college at that point uh, just after yeah yeah so it was like for um, I don't know I've just been in school forever <laughs> <laughs> so I'm like I was still in I was like in grad school at the time but like it I it hadn't was, gone to college yet <laughs> yeah yes yeah, so it was like after so it was like at that time where for us the the geeks that grew up with you know, D&D and video games, Nintendo, the original Nintendo and that sort of thing. And we were now becoming young adults. 
and there was nothing for us to ingest of our, you know, fandom and our, it was just so early in those stages where, you know, we were, we were just starting to maybe look into driving it and eventually we became mainstream, but like, this was the show that was like, yes, like this is what we've been looking for and waiting for. And it was like, it kind of fell into our lap and it was, it was beautifully done. It was like a, like for, I feel like for, for the writers and the creators, it was their love letter to their geek, you know, Mm -hmm. upbringing. Yeah. And, you know, and it was a really fantastic homage to all of us. And we got what they were doing. Like we knew they weren't making fun of us. Cause back in the day, it was like, the only thing you could see was maybe in the seventies we had or the eighties revenge of the nerds, Mm -hmm. which like totally just made fun of nerd nerd culture. It wasn't like, it wasn't written by people who were nerds. Um, So this was like the first that really like loved fandom and like wanted to make a show about it. Mm -hmm. Do you have a favorite character and, and why would you pick that character? Um, (laughs) <laughs> it's so we were discussing this. So Troy and Abed as a unit, because <laughs> they come <laughs> yeah. as a unit, yeah. um, as one character, um, I, they were like children at heart. And unlike any of the other characters, they they had no like subterfuge. Yeah, they're, they're totally honest about, you know, what they love. They're unapologetic. You know, they they, you know, they they enjoy these things together. And uh, yeah, it, it's that kind of um, you know, lack of guile, I think that makes, <laughs> makes them very, uh, you know, uh, very endearing. They were like great examples of geek fans. Yeah. Like they were, they're like, we love this like subculture of like sci-fi and I don't care if you don't watch the show either. Yeah. Like, and like they, they do kind of together form one character because one is entirely thinking and the other one is entirely feeling and together, you know, they, they can kind of help each other to become, you know, a whole person. Come full drawn. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, they're they are without a doubt the heart of that cast and the and the show. Yeah. How about you, Brent? Because I, I uh you know, we talked about how we came to the show, but you are fairly new to it, right? Yeah, actually the only ones that I've seen are the ones that uh that you guys sent over for us to watch. So <clears throat> sort of a new fan. We, uh, I saw a couple uh, this summer. We had Travis Ritchie on as a guest, who was uh, Inspector Space Time in <laughs> you know, an episode or two. Lorgons. Um, <laughs> <laughs> as far as uh, characters, I, I know he's a jerk, but Pierce Hawthorne made me laugh <laughs> more than anyone else because just because Chevy Chase is just hilarious to me. Always has been. Uh, some examples are like when uh, he's laughing when Jeff, Jeff bumps his head on the ceiling fan and talking about Etta James on the plane. Um, but the best was when he's when they're in the video game and he digs himself underground to commit. Suicide. Oh yeah, oh, yes. <laughs> yeah. To try, he's like he, he, he like slowly loses air. Yeah, uh, yeah. I had Which one is me? I was so hard. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> uh, I liked Annie too, and uh, and Jeff was funny. I, Britta was kind of annoying but i think she was meant to be that way oh yeah yeah um but yeah I, all the characters were great I, I liked all the characters but just pierce i think was my favorite just because he had all the old guy jokes and he didn't care what other people thought but secretly he did <laughs> yeah yeah so. yeah he's like i want to insult all of you but i don't want to be left out yeah <laughs> and that's a beautiful thing too brent if you decide to explore the show um again they definitely focus 
there are stories that focus around each character and they flesh them all out. And uh, a lot of what was selected are really good ensemble pieces where they where they interact as a, as a group mm-hmm. um, because uh, they're put into some very unusual and nerdy scenarios. Like Shirley has so many amazing moments. Mm-hmm. Um, like I, I, I can't help but think of the ping pong episode, which uh, you haven't seen, but I highly recommend watching. No, sorry, the competitive foosball uh, episode, yes. <laughs> like which which has a, a moment of animation that comes completely unexpected, is not repeated, and is glorious beyond uh, measure. Um, yeah, it's very. It's a great show to get into. Like just watching it from is. the first episode onward. I think I like one of my favorite moments in the show was very early probably season one might even be like first episode i can't quite remember but it's when troy and abed are studying together spanish because this is how like the group meets they're a study group for those of you who don't know they're a study group that comes together to try and um study spanish so they're all in the same spanish class um but they uh but there's a moment at the end and it's just like a throwaway not a throwaway but like a end credit scene Mm -hmm. but they're sitting there and they sing about as a a disco spider yeah they kind of do a spanish rap together which is really really funny <laughs> and it was just like it's this, total nonsense it's total nonsense it doesn't yeah. make any sense because they actually do write out like what it is they're singing and they're singing about a disco spider in like you know disco yeah. you know in, in biblioteca like in, in a <laughs> library like it was it's totally nonsense but it was like this very like fantastic moment between two friends and it was this thing where I was like, I love the show. It is complete nonsense and I love it. Like it was just, it was so good. And that made me like, just want to continue watching the show. That's really what caught me. And it was so early into the series. Yeah, I kind of want to go back and rewatch the whole show from the beginning. It's, it's worthwhile. I think I've watched the entirety of it two or three times. Um, it's a really good one. Cause when you're dealing with a 20 minute format, like you don't have, to. it was so nice too. When you're like, we want to talk about community. I'm like, yes, 20 minute comedy format that yeah. has no <laughs> overarching theme. I don't have to study, you know, like, cause I can't watch full chunks of it, but like mm-hmm. I, I just can watch it on my phone too, which is a really nice, yeah. nice thing. I don't have to worry about how panoramic it is. There is a, a joke that it takes three seasons to finish yeah <laughs> and yeah. this and you're talking about like the layers of this there are three separate and i'm i'm spoiling this for you for brent and for anyone listening but it is it is this is how genius a man like dan Harmon is there's a single beetlejuice reference in season one there's a single beetlejuice reference in season two there is a single beetlejuice reference in season three but at the end of that third reference Beetlejuice walks past. No one draws any attention to it, but yeah. they summon Beetlejuice within the confines of that show. That's and if you blink, you miss it. Yeah. But it's like that is that is not there for <laughs> for the casual viewer. Because if you've only watched that one episode, I think it's all on Halloween episodes too. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But um which they really they go into Halloween and Christmas, they really oh, dig they into those, oh, yeah. those uh those holidays. Um, wasn't one of them a claymation episode? There's yeah. a claymation episode. Mm-hmm. There's an animated video game episode. Mm-hmm. There's a uh, there's is there a, a f- like a civil war documentary. Yeah, there's oh. and that's the thing. Like the variety of storytelling, it's amazing. And if you're, it's I think I love 
it community wasn't just like a an homage to geek and nerd culture. It was also an homage to anybody who's watched any other television yeah. show or movie sh- or movie. Yeah, the whole culture zeitgeist. They, they plunder whatever they want. Yeah, it was just like if you've watched any other show, you'll get like what they were doing in this one story. If you've watched like movies, you get like the take that they did on that. It's it's so fantastic. It's just it's literally it was like speaking to to me and the generation I grew up in of watching lots of movies and lots of television shows and sci-fi and all that stuff. And I was like, I get all of it. I love it. I love what you're doing here. Mm-hmm. Yeah. There's an episode where they, they just tackle who's the boss. Yeah. Uh, the philosophical <laughs> ramifications of who's the boss. Like, yeah, brilliant. Um, and one of the episodes that you, you recommended and, and Brent's already referred to it has one a Hugo, like it, it, mm-hmm. the, um, for the, the alternate timelines, which, um, again, spoilers, Brent comes back to haunt the show in it later does. seasons. It does. Yes. Yeah, it actually does come back, yeah. Yeah, well, you know, because... Like, I, we get to explore the darkest timeline on several Exactly, yeah. yeah. It's, it's kind of a reference to, like, the Mirror Universe, uh, you know, episodes of Star Trek. Yeah. Right. Yes, yeah, yeah the remedial chaos theory was um, was just such a really fantastic... I think, I think if more than anything else about that episode it tells you of how strong the character development was because in every possible timeline, all the results were believable. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, the way the events unfold is totally consistent to each of the characters, even though it turns out differently, you know, six different times. Yeah. So you chose a number of great episodes for us to talk about. Um, I'll go down the list here. We've got modern. Oh, actually, when when I saw this list, it dawned on me that every single episode title is like a name of a class in community college. Yes. yes. Mm-hmm. So uh, that was pretty cool. Anyway, uh, you picked modern warfare, which was about the paintball war. Contemporary theories of interior design, which is one about the big fort and the drama teacher. Uh, advanced Dungeons and Dragons which is self-explanatory. We've got uh, Remedial Chaos Theory, which was the Hugo Award winner about the six different Yahtzee timelines. Uh, Digital Exploration of Interior Design and also Pillows and Blankets, which was the two-parter about the Fort War. Mm -hmm. Uh, Virtual Systems Analysis about the holodeck. Digital Digital Estate Planning, which is the video game. And Conventions of Space and Time, which is about the sci-fi convention. And I noticed that all of these episodes that you picked are in the first four seasons. Um, is there a reason for that? Do you think the show went downhill in five and six? Or why did you pick those episodes? Well, the show had really kind of hit its stride by that point And was, you know, the the cast had really gelled. And, uh, you know, I think they were just really at their peak. Uh, I think they were having fun, too. Yeah. Like, they finally, they, like, got what they were doing. Like, the whole cast was on board about it. They, they understood the roles that they played and just had a blast with it. Like, I think it was when the show wasn't so worried about another, you know, not necessarily another season or another, you know, they just were like, we're just going to have fun. And these are all examples of standalone episodes where, I mean, you, you would know, Brent, like you could watch it not knowing anything about these characters necessarily um, right. and still get great enjoyment out of it. They also they also highlight the variety of storytelling because like one of them the digital estate planning is a video game based one. Yeah, it's all like most of the episode is an eight bit animation. Yeah, and <laughs> you know the one. Which of course I have the soft spot. Yes. Right. Sure. <laughs> um, 
Advanced Dungeons and Dragons was great in the sense that like they didn't use they purposely used no graphics for it. I think it was a really good take because it was sort of like what when you play Dungeons and Dragons, it's all in your imagination. Mm -hmm. So the focus on was more about how it was a creative outlet for, you know, D&D is a creative outlet for people and that you just have pieces of paper and your imagination. And the whole point of it is the community you create while playing it. Um, and so that was a very simplified episode to highlight the kind of beauty of the game. Um, and so I thought that was really interesting. And then you have other examples like the, the three, essentially three parter of what leads to the pillows and fort, um, pillows and blankets fort where they do essentially, um, it's a Ken Burns style documentary. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. With Keith David talking. Yeah. Yeah. And it's funny because there's like not actually a lot of action shots if you look at it. It's just a lot of pictures that they have like overlapping with a narrator. So it was another way of telling the story. Um, so I think that's why these all kind of stood out. And of course, Conventions of Space and Time, it's about a sci-fi con. That's like 60% of our life. <laughs> it's like we go to conventions. Um, so it was it was perfect, but it was a nice um, take of what it's like when you go to a convention and people, we always talk about this. When you go to a convention and it's your fandom, it's like returning to your home planet where suddenly everybody understands your references and like everybody speaks your language and it's just so nice. And, um, and you just feel like this, this, um, joining and, you know, this reverie of, of a shared beloved show. Mm -hmm. Um, and it's fantastic because any of these episodes too, the amount of cameos they do in, yeah. In Conventions of Time and Space, you actually have Matt Lucas. I totally forgot he was in that until we rewatched oh, it. Oh, yeah. Who plays Nardole. And Dr. It was just so... Like, the amount of overlapping they have later on is is pretty fantastic. But Not to mention, they also re refer to the one female inspector. Yes. 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 Which I was like, they knew it was going to happen <laughs> long before it ever happened. They knew this yes. was And they happen. reference how bad an American take yes. On, yes. <laughs> on the inspector. Yeah, Not... There, there's so so many Doctor Who uh, references in that particular one that yeah yeah so I think it um you know and then Modern Warfare was a take on like the the whole sci-fi scary 28 days later sort of zombie genre yeah concept so it was it's always like a a joke within a joke within a niche <laughs> within a fandom <laughs> yeah it's kind of like the layered effect of the first four seasons of Community um, I think season five and six I think so there was a whole thing where Dan Harmon got fired. I think around at the end of season four, something like that. Season three, so season yeah. four, um, he was no longer the showrunner, and two of the writers took over. Yeah, uh, and around that same time, uh, and one of the things we haven't mentioned is many of these episodes were directed by the Russo brothers, mm -hmm. who would go on to do the series of Captain America movies uh, in the Marvel Cinematic Universe, and in including the uh, the most recent Avengers Infinity War. So, okay. like, that's why when you watch these Captain America, specifically Captain America movies we keep on getting community members showing up in the, in the films, like in mm -hmm. cameos in the background or in, in, in talking parts. Yeah. I think, uh, you know, don't want to spoil anything for people who are, are, you know, new to the show, but there are some, uh, you know, because this is such an ensemble cast, uh, there are changes to the composition of the cast in the later seasons that, that really alter the formula. Um, some are due to, you know, cast departures and so forth, but some are, are more uh, even due to just um, production necessities. Um, and uh, some of those, unfortunately, because they kind of force change on the show, they don't really feel organic to the character development. 
um, which kind of disrupts it in in some ways. Um, yeah. So the the later seasons are not quite as strong, unfortunately. Yeah, I think especially with season six, it uh, you know I think these characters with any show that's been on for this long, um, you want to see a natural progression of where they had been and where they are now, like just like in life um, with you know. Just, people in general um so i think the issue with season five season six was that there was especially season six there was a severe shift of the character and their motivations and they weren't driven by the characterizations anymore and so you lose this linear progression of their character they just kind of like they just lose the essence of who they were and and where they end up being it's it doesn't make sense to where they had started off like it's just like a very big jump so i think that's where that's why the show kind of lost its footing a bit towards the end. And it's also important to note that um, just from behind the scenes, the show was canceled after season five mm-hmm. right? and yeah. was, was picked up by um, Yahoo, their, their online show. And so they think only got 13 episodes. So it, it didn't even mm-hmm. get a full season. Um, and, and Brent, one of the things that I isn't really referenced um, uh, in, in the episodes that we watched and I and I I just want to point out I love that we normally ask for like two to three episodes, but like this show is so good that how could you stop at two to three uh, <laughs> as far as a representation of what it is? I know I wrote to you. I was like, um, so I have like eight <laughs> to ten episodes that I have in mind. And and when you get, sent me the list, the list, I'm like, no, let's just do those. Those yeah. are all great <laughs> episodes to watch. I want to watch those. And even if you'd only given me two or three, I would have gone and back and watched. <laughs> Every, I think almost every single one of the episodes that you put on the list would have been ones that if someone said, listen, I only can watch eight or nine episodes of Community, what would you watch? And none of them are the beginning episode or the finale episode, you know? Yeah. Got a good chunk of, like, what this show can be. Uh, but just going to my point is there was a joke that uh, Abed was obsessed with the, the TV show The Cape. And oh, in, yeah. In in a in another storyline, the Cape had six seasons and a movie. Mm-hmm. And when Community was canceled at the end of series five, people took that hashtag up of six seasons and a, a movie and yes. adopted it mm-hmm. as part of a campaign to try to save Greendale. You know, yeah. the and that's when Yahoo picked it up. So mm-hmm. they still haven't had a movie though, have they? They haven't, um, <laughs> and as of earlier this year, uh, almost all cast members have agreed that they would do it. Uh, and the oh. uh, one of the things that is a tricky, of course, is that, you know everyone's kind of gone on to do their own thing. But um, looking at kind of Twitter and a couple other things, people are constantly asking them, and and they're all more or less <laughs> on board. Um, obviously, with the Childish Gambino's uh, rise to fame with yeah. Atlanta mm-hmm. and and you know ch- well it's childish can be no um you know it's becomes harder and harder to untangle some sure. of your job to come back but it sounds like from what um and maybe this is a good kind of wrapping up point um it sounds like from what Dan Harmon has been saying recently is he hasn't been in a really good place to write a movie mm-hmm. um but in earlier this year he tweeted that um he has been starting to talk to directors uh, and starting to develop ideas for what could be a community movie. But he promised fans that it's not a matter of like if, but when, Mm. but he had to be at a time where he was genuinely missing community. Now, last year at the same time, we were talking about another Dan Harmon 
uh, show, and, and that is uh, Rick and Morty. And, of course, Rick and Morty is hugely successful. And when you're dealing with animation, there's a lot that goes into that. So you're also talking about having to get the guy who spends months upon months upon months to write the scripts for Rick and Morty, another mm-hmm. tightly wrapped episode uh, show. Oh, yeah. To create <laughs> a full-length feature film that isn't just simply jumping on a popular show because the show's been off the air for a number of years mm-hmm. but has to be able to garner interest and move that plot forward so yeah it's a um, difficult difficult to ask honestly it really is but i for one will happily hand over that money for a <laughs> ticket to to see that 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 happens yes us too yeah absolutely well thank you guys for for coming on um uh, and talking about all of this, I know it's been a really long episode for our listeners, but I think it was certainly worth it uh, to, to get on there and get everyone's views on the new season, uh, which, of course, we're all super excited to continue maybe later on this evening. Uh, if people want to find you and you want them to find you online, where can they find you? Yes. So um, we, again, we're, uh, we're, just a, we're just a couple that are doing this. Um, so if you want to help support the art project, um, you can go to our shop page, which is www.pixelhu.com. And Pixelhu is spelled P-I-X-E-L-W-H-O, just one word. Um, you can also find us on our Facebook page, which is, you know, facebook.com slash Pixelhu. We kind of, we keep that really up to date, um, with all of our going ons. Um, we're also on Instagram at Pixelhu, again, just one word. And on Twitter, our handle's a little bit different because uh, when I first got our Twitter handle, somebody else sat on our other one and wouldn't give it back. So on Twitter, we're PixelHuArt, A-R-T. Um, but yes, so those are all of our social medias. We um, are always kind of posting what we're doing next, including our convention schedule. Mm-hmm. Um, so our last convention for the year is going to be Chicago TARDIS in November, and then our first convention of next year will be Gallifrey one for their 30th anniversary, but we usually put up our convention schedule for the following year. So our 2019 con schedule will be up on Facebook probably in December when we, you know, figure out what we're, what our final schedule will be. And we're always updating and changing it. So even though you see it, you know, just kind of, you know, keep an eye on it. Cause sometimes we add or, um, you know, we add more shows or sometimes there are some changes to the dates and, we adjust it as we go along. Mm-hmm. Yep. And if you can come find us at a show, we love meeting people. We love talking to other other geeks and, and uh, geeking out about all of our favorite stuff. So, yeah. Yeah, that uh, lineup for Chicago TARDIS is pretty stellar this year. Yes, we're really excited. We um, we, 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 we saw Paul this last summer, but we're um, really excited to kind of spend some more time with everybody there. Cause the, um, he's just a really, really sweet guy. Yeah, absolutely. Well, thank you once again for for spending time with us. It was a great talk, and it's great. It's always great talking with you guys. So, well, thank you so much for having us on. This has been so much fun. Yeah, a lot of fun. Yeah, absolutely. And thank you for joining us at Who and Company. Who and Company, come for the fandom, stay for the company. Thanks for joining us at Who and Company. Special shout out to Pixel Who for providing our logo. They can be found at facebook.com slash Pixel Who. Who and Company can be found on iHeartRadio.com and Spotify. Or you can download the show directly from whoandcompany.libsyn.com. Contact us on Twitter at whoandcompany. Support the show at patreon.com slash whoandcompany. Or email us at whoandcompany at yahoo.com. Thanks, and see you next month.
citizens of Blanketsburg, I ask you now to prepare for war. And I ask Garrett to please fix the microphone on my laptop. It's doing that thing again. Dice not included, some assembly required. Lines between perception, desire, and reality may become blurred, redundant, or interchangeable. Characters may hook up with no regard for your emotional investment. Some episodes too conceptual to be funny. Some too funny to be immersive, and some so immersive they still aren't funny. Consistency between seasons may vary. Viewers may be measured by a secretive obsolete system based on selected participants keeping handwritten journals of what they watch. Show may be canceled and moved to the internet where it turns out tens of millions were watching the whole time. May not matter. Fake commercial may end with disclaimer gag which may descend into vain Chuck Lurie-esque rant by narcissistic creator. Creator may be unstable. Therapist may have told creator this is not how you make yourself a good person. Life may pass by while we ignore or mistreat those close to us. Those close to us may be those watching. Those people may want to know I love them, but I may be incapable of saying it. Contains pieces the size of a child's esophagus. This will be the best. Give me Bob Hope. And I will pee. Give me some Time your dream. Give me some milk, give me some cream, give me some poop, put it on steam. I cannot do a booby doo boo. I cannot poop and pee till I go to my room. Give me some rope, tie me a dream. Give me some hope. Run out of steam. Somebody said it could be real. I can't find the reasons I can't. I should stay. Bam, bam. I don't know, right? Close?